Flute benders, and welcome to I Like to Movie Movie, the podcast about movie movies. My name is Garrett Smith. My name is Dan Scully, and this is our 200th episode spectacular. <laughs> 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 I am so excited. I can't believe we made it this far. It's it's wild. And so, yeah, as we announced last week, uh, uh, our one and only, and what's funny is every podcast that I've, like every host of a podcast that I've ever talked to that, uh, asks me about podcast tips as if I have anything to offer. The <laughs> one thing that I always say to them is you are going to lose an episode. <laughs> no matter what happens, technology issues are going to fuck you and it's going to hurt. It's going to break your heart and it's going to happen at least, at least once. It always yep. happens. It's just the nature of the beast. And that happened to us luckily just one time, which is amazing over 200 episodes. And pretty early in our run, I think, right? Like that yeah. was among the first like 25 episodes, I think. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, yeah, based on what movie it is, it, yes. it had to have been what we were like chomping at the bit to get. Uh, so, yeah. So you'll notice back in our feed that our face off episode is only 10 minutes long. Yes. Because we did a wonderful episode on face off, lost the episode due to tech issues. And so we just did like a panicked one. So in yes. order to close that loop, if you will, to use some looper terms, that's right. Uh, we are going to do a full deep dive once again into Face Off to celebrate our 200th episode. I am genuinely, the audience can't see it, but I'm like shaking with excitement because I just so, think Face Off and episode 200 are like, these are very exciting things. And thank you to all of the listeners, especially those yes. who got into contact with us and those who didn't go yourselves um ever thank you so much for uh 200 episodes yes and hope to see you for 200 more yes uh and then uh we we have like kind of a big announcement here at episode 200 uh, which is something Dan and I have been like building up to for a couple of weeks here. Uh, Dan has been talking about some changes coming to the show, and that's because I am going to be taking my departure from I Like to Movie Movie uh, at the end of this episode. This will be my my last episode as the co-host of I Like to Movie Movie with with my old buddy Dan Scully here. So um, we're I'm, I'm making that announcement now. I didn't want it to like hang over the last couple episodes of the show, so we saved it for now. Um, I have loved doing this. I have loved doing this with Dan uh, specifically. Dan and I have done this for, Dan, we've done this for almost 10 years now. I think it's been like nine. I, oh I was just looking ass. at that. Holy hell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. We knew it for like a very long time. And we did like, I think 20 live episodes in that. Well, like 25 live episodes, if you count some of those like podcast festivals we did and stuff. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But like 20 of those were like these full fledged game shows that Dan and I did that we made like posters and flyers where you can find a lot of that stuff on our Facebook page. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been the, it has been the delight of the last 10 years of my life doing this podcast with you. And it got me into writing about movies, like in a more professional sense and stuff. This is, you know, I feel like I've kind of built my adult career uh, off of this and uh, it's been wonderful. So I, I wanted to just kind of like, you know, say thank you and tell our listeners, thank you. And thank you for supporting us and, Hopefully continuing to, I mean, definitely continuing to support the show. Dan is not going anywhere. The show is going to stay on the air. I can um, talk. Yeah. 
but uh you know uh, hopefully you'll continue supporting me i you know i have like another podcast going on i'm still on movie john dan and i are still working together you know on movie john and some other stuff so you know hopefully i'll continue to see you all again around there on the internet so well i speak for me and i think for all of the listeners to say that you will be missed your absence will be felt and uh you know it's it is what it is yeah. but um yeah so uh what this means though for me is i've got uh we're gonna be powering through forward with the show um there's going to be a two-week hiatus after this episode as we transfer everything over as you guys probably know from our uh dynamic here garrett does a lot of the tech work <laughs> and so transferring all of that over uh to remedial me is going to be a task it's already begun i've already got some things set up uh so there will be a two-week hiatus so consider that the end of season one uh, yeah. season wow. two a 210 year episode season incredible yeah we're like we're like an nbc sitcom <laughs> so there are yeah 200 episodes so season two will be starting two weeks after the day that this drops there's going to be some other changes as well if you stay on with at movie movie cast on twitter as well as on instagram uh that should give you everything that you need to follow along you can also check out my website scullyvision.com for regular updates on how that's going and where it can be found uh, a lot of things got to switch over but i've got some guests coming up i'll be doing some solo episodes gonna be doing a lot of fun stuff so i hope that even in the absence of garrett you will stick with the show because i've got a lot of cool things coming up for you and it is going to get fucking weird including so, scully vision which i wanted to compliment you on again scully vision does like it's a cool looking website i think you nailed it um I all of that broke up. So as soon as I ended that, all I heard was garble. <laughs> which Perfect. honestly, if that's what makes it to the recording, that is appropriate. Uh, so, it was, it, you'll you'll want this part of it. It was really just me saying like, and one of those projects is already underway, which is Scully Vision, and is cool. I think the website is cool. Right on, right on, right on. I mean, oftentimes I have reviews with no home. And so Scully Vision acts as my home for reviews that either someone else is covering, but I still want to write about, um, you know, things like that. Also, it's been a great way to tell distributors that I want to see their movies for free. And yep. then I flash the website and they go, oh, that seems legit. And I go, <laughs> I got you fooled. <laughs> so uh, shout out to uh, Steve, friend of the show, for hooking me up with a solid logo there. And, yeah, it, is, uh, it looks really nice. Be a solid new movie, movie logo coming through too. Heck yeah! So uh, yeah, so stay tuned, and we wish Garrett the best in his current and future endeavors. Thank and, you, my friend. Uh, I'm sure you'll hear his voice again at some point as well. I, I oh, can't yeah. imagine that I, that would be. I hope a, so. I hope you will. Thing. Yes, yes. And you, you just got to send me that that hard drive. Oh yeah, it's coming. I you know what I decided on uh, was just once this episode is done, then you can just have it all at once. I don't have to do two files. Oh, right on. Yeah, that's the way to go. Yeah, yeah. this is how we do tech issues. We do them on the air. Yeah, we work for them out. You guys to hear, working them out. I love your new Godzilla poster that friend of the show Andy hooked up. Oh yes. for you from Dude, his uh, childhood home. It's great. He got me this thing. It's called the the Godzilla Compendium. Yeah, the official Godzilla Compendium, but it's like it's from like. 2002 so it's okay. like you know it's like after godzilla 2000 came out but like i don't think they had like made many more godzilla you know it was before they had done some more so it's a very interesting look at like a certain period in the godzilla fandoms you know time you know it's like a time yeah, yeah, yeah. it's cool yeah i mean when something is that big and that long that is just that's just the way it's gonna be yeah it's cool uh, that's cool so right thank on. you to andy I, for that 
I claimed his uh, his Michael Keaton Batman poster. Hell yeah! So hopefully I'll be seeing that sometime in the future as uh, as we all are able to see each other. Yes. I just had a, a solid mail day uh, today. I got uh, some. I'm still awaiting my third Criterion uh, sale arrival, which was Thief. Oh, nice! But I dude. do have I do have Blue Velvet and Night of the Hunter. Oh yes. And the last Kino sale arrived just this morning. I just got me some uh, Bakurao. Yeah, a movie that like when I saw it, I was like, oh man, that was pretty good. Yeah. And then it haunted me. And then when (laughs) I saw that it was on sale for like five bucks, I was like, all right, let me get some of that shit. I have been wanting to rewatch that recently, actually, because I I similarly was kind of like, you know, so-so on that movie. And I kind of want to revisit it. It is the definition of a movie that you have to learn how to to take it before you yeah. can truly get it. And the first time I watched it, I was like stoned off my ass, balls deep in a film festival, and just being like, oh, it's like an alien movie with Udo Kier, go. And they're like, that's completely the wrong way to take that movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, as it might be the right way second time around. Yeah. But uh but I I I've I've thought about it and I think it's it uh excuse me, it solidified John Carpenter's Night as probably my favorite non-score John Carpenter song. That song rips. Uh, it's so fucking good, dude. Yeah. It's so good. That song uh, rips. Whenever it comes on my shuffle, it's always like, because it's like one of few songs in my like all-time faves playlist that that doesn't have any lyrics. Right. And no matter what I'm doing, that'll happen. And then it, like suddenly my whole life is like, keyed into whatever i'm working on at the moment yep yeah it's, it's the ultimate writing music he uh i mean we don't have to get into him and how good he is at scoring stuff but like his scores are that they make you feel like your life is the movie that's being scored at that given moment you know oh yeah oh yeah i actually you know what uh this is a hard way to to move into face off but <laughs> we'll never get there if i don't yes one of the funniest things that i noticed about face off this time around that i yeah. never thought about before is the sexy score. Oh, yes. Anytime that Caster Troy in Sean Archer's face makes like a like a poopy remark at Eve Archer, we get the, wow. Yep. <laughs> and that is like, but what's crazy is watching this movie this time around, we're full into face-off talk now, listeners. Yes. Watching this movie this time around, I was really just trying to watch it as a Hong Kong action movie yes. that just happens to have white Americans in it. Right. And that is the key. Yeah. And so, like, even that little, like, wow, I was like, if this was Chow Yun-Fat's face, uh-huh. it would fit perfectly. You uh-huh. know, like if the, and, and so, yeah, I, what a movie. I noticed the same thing this time. I noticed that there was what I like to call Muzak throughout it. It, it very much has yeah. the I'm Kevin Smith and the way I underscore my jokes is by having the guy playing the music go like, this is a joke with like a saxophone, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? You ever listen to that um that Paul F. Tompkins bit about how he hates jazz? No. He he goes on this giant riff about how jazz defies you to like it uh-huh. and then claims that that is why you should like it. <laughs> and he was like, people always go, oh, it's the, it's what's between the notes. And you know it's between the notes in any music? Uh, nothing. Uh-huh. But he's like, but I hate when I go see jazz and they'll be playing and then the bassist will be like, wow. And then the whole band looks at each other and like nods and laughs like <laughs> you told a fucking joke. It's like, no, you just made a wow noise uh-huh. in your face. That, that's nothing. And what's funny is the the bit itself clearly exhibits someone who who has a love for jazz. Yes, yes. But is doing a bit, you know. Yes. But yeah, I, but I always think whenever I hear the funny, I'm always like, 
Paul F. Tompkins hates that bass player. Uh-huh. Hates him for doing it. Uh, but I'm also with you that like that stuff. Uh, I laughed when it happened, but I was laughing with the movie. I was not laughing at the movie. You know what I mean? Like I. Yeah. It's it's that John Woo thing of like, and, and frankly, like we we can talk about this because the thing I really noticed watching it this time was like, yo, this isn't just kind of a Fast and Furious movie. The Fast and Furious movies directly crib from and reference this movie frequently, you know? Like, it feels like this Watching is the- this in the shadow of the last Fast movie really changed the flavor, for sure. Totally. I mean, it feels like, um, you know, that, that kind of, what have we called it, like, earnest cheese? It feels like this is yeah. like the tabula rasa for that, you know? Yeah. I think that, like, when it comes to John Woo, like, his American work, yeah, it's when the the material kind of jibes with that that weird fun melodrama of like the killer or hard boiled. Yes, that it really works. It's when there's a clash that it seems silly. Case in point, Mission Impossible Two, which right. Mission Impossible Two has its merits, but yeah. by nature of what Mission Impossible is understood to be, clashes with Hong Kong cinema something mm-hmm. fierce, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's like. And and now that uh, now that American blockbusters first and foremost have to please Chinese viewers, yeah, I feel like the uh, you know the uh, the fast movies really do get that. Yeah, that's but yeah, interesting. like when John Woo is trying to do American action and he's doing Broken Arrow or Mission Impossible, it's kind of goofy. Um, and I do love Broken Arrow, but it's goofy. Yeah. Um, or what was the one we were talking about? Oh, um, Hard Target. Hard Target, which great movie. Yeah, yeah, but like. Hong Kong aesthetics don't necessarily jive with Bayou action flicks. Yep, yep. yep. But something about LA black suited two actors that are really keen for big cartoonish melodrama and the material of Face Off really works. And I think as far as John Woo's American output goes, this is, in my opinion, his most successful. Oh, Um, totally agree with that. Totally agree. And I think it's because of that tonal match. Yes, I I 100% think that's true. I also think that this was the best match he found in actors for what he does as a filmmaker. Um, Because it's not even, we we will definitely talk about Cage and Travolta a lot, but it's like not even just them. Like who the guy that you and I have become a big fan of over the last couple of years because of his role as Sensei in um, uh, Art of Self-Defense. Alessandro Nivola. Yeah, Alessandro Nivola is great in this and like it, yeah. it is also getting exactly what his particular role needs to be in this movie, which is mm-hmm. like a very peculiar, strange, particular thing. And it feels like he is keyed perfectly into it in a way that like, if he tipped any other direction, it just wouldn't work. You know what I mean? I think that goes across the board. Yeah. I think with like Gina Gershon, yeah, she's going big in this as only she knows how, but like she gets the material in a way that, I think a lot of people wouldn't. Yep. Um, uh, Joan Allen. Totally. She doesn't dude. get much to do, but like she really embodies what she's supposed to be. You yes. Know, in a Hong Kong actioner. Um, even down to like the supporting characters, Tom Jane in the jail. Oh, yes, uh, yes. John Carroll Lynch is the guard. Yep. Colm Fior as the uh-huh. surgeon. That's right. Um, and like everybody really, th- this is stacked. I actually had like a proud moment in the scene where he has to break out of his uh, electronic magnet boots. Yeah. 
both Joe Bob Briggs and John Carroll Lynch are in that scene. And I was like, I've interviewed two of the guys in this room. And I, I had to pat myself on the back. Dude, that is awesome. And I actually, this was the first time that I went through this movie and recognized that Joe Bob Briggs was able like, both Tori and I were like, like the, he, his face just like went across yeah. the screen in a flash. And we were both like, was that Joe Bob? And then like, yeah, did some Googling. And we were both like, oh my God, not only is he in this, clearly he was having a career moment in the nineties. Like, all oh, of these yeah. genre filmmakers put him in their movies. He's in a couple David Lynch movies. Yep. Um, but yeah, he's just like an iconic face that can do a bit part. And yeah, yeah. You know, he just has that Joe Bob charm. Yeah, it was. But yeah, it was really fun across the board, him. everyone seems to really recognize what this movie's going for, which is so weird because if you were to pitch me this movie, the tone that I would assume without already knowing what Face Off is, is not what they would have landed on. Right, right. It's it's I, I don't know how to describe it like it I don't know it just would be much more metal but to do like a I don't want to say soft but like a, an almost like dreamy soft focus yeah uh, you know a, a Hong Kong riff in America is a really odd thing and to further that notion when I watch the trailer that's on the DVD that I have yeah yeah do you remember the trailer for this I mostly remember that it's got a really crazy piece of music behind all of it they don't actually give you the hook oh really the trailer opens on john travolta's face and it's him just like monologuing at the camera he's like caster troy is a guy that i've been hunting for years i know him i i, I can think like him and blah 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 but i just can't seem to catch him and as he's doing that the camera's like moving around him like 360 degrees yes yes right and then you know he's like but i you know as it's moving around slowly he's like but i finally figured out a way that i can stop him and then as the camera comes back around it's now nicholas cage and he goes, I will become him. Yeah, yeah. They never explain anything further. Right. Then it's just a two-minute montage of, of the action, action scene, sequences. right? Yeah, the boat sequence. That shot of John Travolta putting his foot down on the top of a car, like he's the Creed guitarist on a speaker, <laughs> yes. pointing a gun, sparks everywhere, uh, the wind tunnel, like it's yep. just nonstop action. And they never say and, and honestly, I, I can't imagine a world where the trailer is just like, we've developed a procedure right. where we could switch the faces of these two completely physically different actors. Yep. And it was enough to, like, that was enough to, like, had I not known what the movie was about and just saw that trailer, I'd be like, fuck, this looks bananas. I yeah. gotta see this. What does that mean? So, yeah, they don't even try to pitch it to the audience in the way that we all know it now. Well, and I think kind of along these lines, like one of the big things that I was thinking about throughout is that like the first 10, I mean, we talked about this when we did the first episode of this, which is that this movie opens with the ending of another movie, right? Yeah. Like, and it's one of my favorite kind of brilliant things about this. It really feels like John Woo being like, hey, Americans, I know you think your movies are good and big and cool. I'm going to make a movie so much bigger, so much cooler that it's going to start the way that your movies end. The yeah. way your movie's finale, that's where mine starts. And then yeah. we escalate from there, you know, which I think is such a, was it Babe Ruth that did the pointing the bat to the, uh, yeah. the back of the oh, seat, yeah. right? Like, it's such a calling your shot thing, which is so cool. But the thing I realized now, watching it in a post-Fast and Furious world and realizing how much Fast and Furious owes to this movie in particular, and by the way, I think... Obviously, you could not have pitched this movie as a Fast and Furious movie in, what is this, 1997? Because that didn't really, like, exist yet. Yeah. 
but still four more years for the first one. In the world now, that is what you would pitch this movie as, right? That's how you'd get somebody right to the tone of this movie. You'd say, I'm going to make a Fast and Furious-like movie about guys who switch faces. Like, that yeah. is how you would pitch it now. But to, to my point... If they introduced this as a plot point in a Fast and Furious it totally movie, like Vin Diesel has to become John Cena to do... Yes. I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. It totally makes sense. Well, it's, it's his only option. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing that I, I couldn't stop thinking about, and I think it fits right in nicely with what you're saying, is just like, they get, this is how I phrase it in my review. We could have just made Fast Five. That's what Face Off proves. You yeah. don't actually need four movies to get there. With 10 smart minutes of exposition, you can end the opening scene with one guy looking out the window at another guy and saying his name, which does happen. Yeah. He looks at the window and goes, <laughs> Archer. Uh, yeah. You can do that at the end of the opening of your movie and have the whole audience right there with you and then just take off running, yeah. you know? But I haven't seen many movies actually do that. You know, most movies do the Fast and Furious thing of like, it takes us five movies to get there, you know? I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out if there's like a cultural reason for that, like in terms of like cultural tastes. Right. Like, there's like, like, for example, I was writing about the, uh, the Fear Street movies and in my review of the second one, which is like a summer camp slasher, yeah, I lamented that they spent so much time trying to establish these characters. Yeah, yeah. When really, like, you know, the the Jason movies, you know what I love about them is that I could give a shit about the characters and they're just there to explode in uh -huh. titties. You know, like uh -huh. that's what's supposed to happen. Um, at the same time, I respect the inclination to make us care about these characters before we dispatch them. Right. And so it being half cooked, it was like, okay, well, which direction do you push that? Full characterizations or let's just be dumb fun. And so in the same realm of like action is it took 10 movies for us to really care about Fast and Furious characters or five at least yes, in terms yes. of the way that went. But I think you're right. If we opened with Fast Five and just used blank cinematic language to be like, that guy doesn't like that guy and there's going to be some guns about it. Yeah, that totally works, too. And face-off kind of exists in the middle where like, you know, the, you do care about these characters. They do the legwork to make you care about them, but that's not really what does the legwork of getting us amped. It yeah. really is like the filmic language that gets yes. it done. And so I wonder if like, just culturally, like, did we request action movies that are more about characters? Did, right. Because, like, you know, we look at the Marvel movies, they're very character heavy. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes to the detriment, at least in my opinion, to the action. Sure. Um, yep. But, you know, and then there's other things like, you know, Matrix nails the action, but, like, that movie is not really about action or characters. It's about concept. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. and so, I like, I just wonder, I wonder what the... Uh, you know, what happened in terms of the way we received these movies that caused us to to sort of move away from Face Off? It is an interesting point because when you think even just about the 80s and 90s action movies as a just kind of larger whole, um, mm -hmm. they are kind of, I mean, a lot of them are, are made just on the star power of the star itself, right? Like, yeah. there's really not a lot going on character dynamic-wise in a lot of those movies. It, which is, you know, I know I'm very much oversimplifying things right now, but like not in the way we see in Marvel movies, right? Like these characters don't have the same kind of dramatic weight to them. There, there, there are not many Schwarzenegger movies that have the kind of dramatic weight to them that like a, a Marvel movie has. Yeah, um, that's true. They, they're being carried on the Seagal. They're being carried on the Norris. They're being carried on that, right? Like 
that's like a lot of that stuff kind of is based on these personalities. And I think we don't have as much of that anymore, but I don't know if that's like, I think that's maybe more indicative of like the larger Hollywood landscape, which has moved away from the star machine and back mm. towards the studio machine a little bit, you know, or a lot of it. Really. I, I do think that that part of the, the marketing mechanism of face off was like John Travolta fresh off of his comeback. Yep. Nick Cage fresh off of his Oscar win. Yep. And John Woo, who made Broken Arrow and made a splash in American action cinema. Yep. Because that was also the time where, like, especially post Tarantino, where we were all going, like, oh, foreign movies can be cool as hell, too. Yeah. Wait, foreign movies influenced our culture? We didn't even realize it. <laughs> and, like, so the whole idea of, like, Hong Kong action was big. So, yeah, I think, it, like, there was a star power, power element that's lost. Uh, we I had that conversation so. last week about how our stars of action are Vin Diesel, The Rock, Jason Statham, and like they don't really deliver the same product as right. the previous star-powered action does. You know, times have changed, but they also yeah. have different. You know, the market's just different. The job is different. And the personalities are different. And they and they are you know like it or not, we're in this like branded world now. Like they're brands. They're they are managing yeah. their brands in the way that they. And I guess you I guess you can't say that's not true of guys like Schwarzenegger and Stallone, but it did feel like they were stepping outside of their boxes more or something. I don't know. There's there's definitely some there kind was of a separation. Difference. Yeah. We all think that we're friends with our celebrities now. Right, right. You know, and it's like Schwarzenegger would make a movie and like you go, Oh wow, I guess he's jumping from action to comedy because he made right. junior. But like now it's Vin Diesel being like, hey, I was locked in quarantine all year, but I just released a hit song. Yeah. It's all. And so then we and then we get the drama of him and The Rock not wanting to lose fights or yeah, you know, bitching yeah. at one another and being whiny pussies. It's like it, there it's just a different relationship that we have with our celebrities. And it's like and, and a different relationship, you know, people in our neck of the woods there was no job saying like, what does it mean for Vin Diesel to say this or tweet this or do that? It was just movie good, movie bad, next movie, you know? Yes. So it, was, it, it was very different. And yeah. so whereas there was a, a brand like, oh, we understand what a Schwarzenegger movie is or should be or could be. Now it's almost actually literally a brand. It's like Vin Diesel LLC. You know, right, like that's right. not that far off. Whereas Schwarzenegger, it was like, oh, yeah, it's another Schwarzenegger movie. Who knows? You know? Yeah, yeah. Now yeah, it's, exactly. it's the Vin Diesel. So it's just a different kind of thing. I don't know what this means and how it relates to Face Off, but well, I do think it's worth noting that, like, this was Travolta in a period of redefining his career that was floundering before Pulp Fiction. And I wouldn't say that the action suit necessarily fit him, Um you know, in a, in a long-term sense, but he certainly got some mileage out of it here. This is a, dude, I think this is a great transition to talk more about this movie because I'll tell you like another one of my big revelations watching Face Off this time. You know that I'm a huge Nicolas Cage fan. We talk about Cage on this podcast Absolutely. a lot. I love this Nick Cage performance. It's one of my favorites. But watching this movie this time, I noticed two very distinct things. One is that I think one of the brilliant things John Woo is doing throughout this movie is that he frames the characters distinctly from one another and the same consistently through the whole movie. And so what I mean by that is, no matter who it is that's playing Caster Troy, the way that he frames Caster Troy with his camera is consistent through the whole movie. And no yeah. matter who is playing Sean Archer in the movie, the way he frames Sean Archer in the camera 
is consistent and distinctly different from how he's framing the other character, Caster Troy, through the whole movie. And so he, you know, the way he basically makes this trick of these two actors playing each other, quote unquote, work without any special effects other than their performances is literally through his camera. He literally frames these characters differently from one another so that we always know which character we're watching, regardless of which actor we're watching, which I thought was so smart and interesting. But what that means ultimately is I spent the whole movie going, man, what a great shot of Cage. Man, what a great close-up of Cage. Man, what a great position Cage is in in that frame. You know why? Because Nicolas Cage plays the hero of this movie for 75% of this movie. He actually is playing Sean Archer through most of this movie. So all of the hero shots are on Nicolas Cage. And so when Mm -hmm. we as a culture think about and talk about this movie, what we think about and talk about is Nicolas Cage's crazy performance in this movie. And I think it's mostly because he's framed as the hero for most of it. And really, I think the actor that's doing the harder work in this movie is John Travolta. Because he is having to well, do... None of that would even work if in that opening, what, 25 minutes? Yeah, yeah. We didn't get such a solid Sean Archer out of Travolta. Totally. That we can then relay Cage's performance onto that. Absolutely. The whole movie would, wouldn't work without that. Absolutely. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. And then I think it's just that like Travolta, he doesn't get the good close-ups. He's playing the villain for most of this movie. So we don't even... When we talk about and think about this movie, he's not at the forefront of our mind. We're not thinking about his, in my opinion, very interesting and cool and kind of honestly, maybe even more layered performance than what Cage is doing. Because watching it this time, again, this is no love lost to Cage. He's great in this. But Cage never feels like he's trying to do Travolta. Travolta actually feels to me like he's trying to bring Cage into his performance. I think that's also just the nature of what is the difference between Travolta and Cage totally. at a base level, because yes. like you can do a Cage, you can't yeah. really do a Travolta. I and do whereas agree with I that. think Cage, Cage does a wonderful job being Sean Archer and being believable that under that face is the character as as so strongly established by Travolta. Yeah, Travolta does get to have the fun of being a big performance yes. in terms of being a villain and modeling it after Cage. Yes, yes, and I think he's great. Like I think he's really good, and I spent most. Oh, yeah. of, I think yeah. I spent most of my watch this time being like most fascinated by him and noticing how much he kind of not fades into the background of this movie, but is just kind of living in this movie, and and so doesn't kind of I don't know he doesn't stand out in the way that Cage does, but that's not actually that's not meant as that's meant as a compliment actually. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would say that, and we talked about this the last time we talked about this movie. You know, like there always there reaches a point where like where Travolta has to play Nick Cage playing Travolta. Yes, yes. You know, like he has to play Caster Troy playing Sean Archer and and vice versa. But where I think it might actually be a harder task for Travolta is that he has to play Nick Cage playing John Travolta and failing therefore inserting his own alternate version of Nick Cage into John Travolta that's suspicious but passable. Right. So like, so like when Sean Archer is, well, sorry, when, when Caster Troy is yes. in Sean Archer face and he first goes home, 
his family is the first to notice like something's up about this guy. Yeah. So Travolta has to play Castor Troy being a fish out of water, but also playing a version of Sean Archer that has to convince his family that, Hey, I'm changing because the job has changed me. Yes. And like, whereas like on the other side of that, <laughs> this sounds so insane. Whereas on the other side of that, we do get Sean Archer struggling with being wearing the face of the man who, who yes. killed his son. Yes. Um, we do get him struggling with playing that part, but he's in such a powerful position that if he acts off, no one's going to ask any questions anyway about like, why is he being weird? I mean, he's high on contracts, so that's, that is what it is. So it's, it's like a half layer less when the when the dudes are dissolving on Nick Cage's end of things. So whereas Nick Cage does this incredible job of evoking pathos yes. as a man stuck in a body that he truly hates. Yes, yes. He never has to play Sean Archer failing at pretending to be Castor Troy, even when he's struggling to do so. Right. And so it's it's like half a degree less. So I would agree that this time around, I was much more impressed watching Travolta. Yeah. But I do also have to ask if that's because I don't have the the undying love for Travolta that I carry in my heart and soul for Nick Cage. Right, right. And then that may be true. I, I also, I think they're watching it this time, and this is all related to like what we're talking about with these characters. Tori and I were laughing about how, so you're describing this idea of like Caster Troy as Sean Archer having to like convince this family that like the changes that are happening in him are natural in some way or whatever, yeah. right? These sat- like I'm turning over a new leaf in life. New leaf in life. Yeah. yeah, truly the saddest thing in this movie and it's like a thematic thing that I did. I don't think I even noticed. Maybe it's just being like in my 30s now and watching this movie and I'm thinking more about these kinds of things. But like the saddest thing in this movie is that one of the thematic things that's going on is that Caster Troy playing Sean Archer, which means Sean is now a kind of looser character that yeah. is a little more willing to have a little more fun, is, liked by, is liked by his family more than Sean Archer, yeah. Sean Archer. And so then, and then Sean Archer finding out that literally being forced to loosen up because as Caster Troy, he can just like go fully unhinged and that will allow him to accomplish some things that he like needs to do in order to like get out of prison or convince the gang that he actually is Caster Troy, right? Like he has to go full unhinged a couple of times in order to like basically get to the next stage of what he's trying to do seems to find that like oh actually that is a little bit appealing like i've maybe been a little too uptight in my life like yeah there is something i'm learning from like allowing myself to be this it's like this really kind of like sad little extra thematic thing that is not like the major crux of the movie but was something that like both tori and i like kind of like gravitated to on this watch we were like oh my god it's so sad how much his family likes this guy more than the actual sean archer it's Freaky Friday. And yes. that's something that you never actually think about. Like, this doesn't play as a magical body swap movie when right. functionally it is. It is, yeah. And the thematic thing of a Freaky Friday is mom learns that, hey, she kind of has forgotten what it's like to be young and she needs to yeah. loosen up in regards to how she associates with her daughter. And the daughter realizes, oh, wow, mom is a person who used to be cool like me. Yeah. And just because she's put some more time in doesn't mean that she's any less cool. It's just different. Yeah. And so... 
we never actually think about that as the crux of this. The crux of this is more of a body horror thing, which is right. how are we going to get things back to normal? That's the plot of a Freaky Friday movie is how right. do we get things back to normal? But the theme is we've grown to understand each other by living in one another's shoes. Face Off, the doesn't lean so heavily into that as story yeah you know the, the story is more how do i get out of this disgusting body and how do i get what is mine back yes and then on the back burner is the actual freaky friday thematics which is sean learns that hey being good is is sort of a hindrance yeah and i also i like to think a little bit of caster troy despite being evil i noticed some humanity in him this time around and it is in there where he realizes like I abuse my brother, but like, I love my family. And, you know, know, he has, now granted, the humanity that I saw in him this time is I think that Castor Troy shows genuine regret for accidentally killing Michael Archer. Right, right. Um, You know, I I think that that's, that showed up for me this time when not before. But I, I do think that it is there that he experiences the, because even even when he's talking to his brother about how like no 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 screw the bomb it's time to go legit right right i think that's partially him realizing the strength of structure which he doesn't have yeah yeah and saying like you know we can use what we know we can use our willingness to go far but like this shell of a life that i've inhabited is pretty sturdy we can do so you know like i so i think there is a little bit of that freaky friday there i i like i would be it's weird i would be hesitant to compare uh caster to a character like frank in thief only a little bit i feel like there's like a more inherent evil to caster troy i think frank is the yeah, name character in thief right um i think so and I, I i don't think he's a bad guy i think he's a victim of circumstance and he's just right, like right too too far in so i'd be like i'd be hesitant to compare them but the one thing that i think and this is exactly what you're saying i think that's kind of similar about like caster troy and frank is like something about what they're doing like at some point their end goal was quote unquote normalcy. Like they got into what they're doing because they wanted to eventually have some kind, right? Caster Troy, by the time we meet him, seems to be a purely evil man or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think what we find out, as you're suggesting, when he kind of calls his brother and is like, maybe we just go legit, like maybe I just take over Sean Archer's life, yeah. isn't, isn't, doesn't seem exclusively about like, because if I'm Sean Archer, I have access to a bunch of FBI stuff. It seems like it's at least 50% like, because if I'm Sean Archer, I finally get a family and a quote unquote normal life. Like I finally stop running. I get some of these things that are not afforded to me in this other life that we're living. Um, 100%. That's totally there. Cause like, even, cause even his brother, like uh, Pollux, even Pollux is just like, well, what's the next crime? And he was like, no, no, there is no crime. I get accolades for stopping the crime. And then we can work, we can work from here. And I think that's very much based in his idea of just being like, no, we've got it. We've got a status quo now. We never had that before. It was always on the run. I, the only status quo I have is my, my suitcase that's presented to me with pills, joints and golden guns. Now I've got a home. Yeah. I did think there was a pretty funny moment and it's a little earlier in the movie. So like, I think you could still argue that he shifts a little bit as the movie goes on. But um, there's that moment early in the movie where uh, Castro Troy as Sean Archer is in Sean Archer's kitchen with Sean Archer's wife. Uh, and Joan Allen is expressing, you know, uh, some feeling some distance from him and stuff. And so he jumps right to sort of being a little sexy with her and paying some attention to her that she's clearly not used to getting from Sean. Generally, she's used to being kind of like ignored by Sean. And there is a moment in that scene where 
the first thing that Castro Choi does is try and a- appeal to her sexuality, right? Mm-hmm. And she gives a glimmer of like, oh, wow, you don't normally treat me like this. That feels good. But then immediately turns back to like, but like, this isn't enough. Like, she, you know, she then gives him more complaints about their marriage. She feeds him more yeah. like, this is still not. And there's a moment right there where you see, in my opinion, you see in the performance that Castor Troy underneath all that is like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is why I never planned to get married yeah. or did, like, I can't handle this. Like, look, we're either going to fuck and that's going to be enough or I can't handle the rest of it. Like, that's it. You know, yeah. like, that's where I draw my line. But I think that's ultimately what gives him away, too, is like yeah. he can give her the attention she desires insofar as it benefits him. Right. Whereas Sean might be distant and Sean might be so obsessed with his vengeance mission that he has gone cold to his family. But at the heart of it all is he's trying to provide. Right. And Castor has absolutely no inclination to be a provider. Right. He's a right. consumer. And so, yeah, I, I think that's 100% there. And I, I think that a lot of the humor is found in such things. Yes, yes. Um, there is a lot of Freaky Friday style humor. Like, I think on on Sean Archer's end of things in Nick Cage's body, it's yep. more of a body horror thing. Yes. So I guess he's more of the daughter in the mom's body. Right. Just being like, oh, my God, this is horrifying. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, Castor gets the fish out of water story, which is... Oh, cool. I get this thing that I wanted, but uh, this is foreign to me. I don't know what this <laughs> is anymore. You know, like I, my chance to have this life has sailed, you know, so yes. it's mom in the kid's body. Yes. It's a whole new world. Yeah. Yeah, man. It, uh, man, these, the, the performances are so good in this. They're incredible. In this. I, they really I are. I really, really feel, and kudos to, to Cage, because I feel the body horror element oh, yeah, through man. and through. And for two leads that really don't look like one another, for two leads that, like, on paper, you could not believably pitch me this idea without me being like, what? Yeah. Now, the movie gets me there flawlessly, Yeah. might I add, um, with the tech and the face switches. That all that all looks fantastic. It's so it really cool. does. And, and by the way, very horrifying, too. Like, it actually is very like le- horrifying. legitimately a horror movie at various times, which is awesome. It's I a body that. horror movie yeah, through yeah. and through. Yeah. Um, but I think that that both of them do such dense performances in a movie that you is you would think is dumb enough not to call for it. Yeah. But ultimately rests almost entirely upon that. Yes, yes. You know, if, if Nick Cage could not play, I'm stuck in this body of someone I hate, and uh, Travolta could not play this isn't my body, but I can make it work, despite this fucking chin that he, you know, comments about. Yeah. It, it just would not work. Like I've read that at one point this was going to be, and I, this is IMDB facts. So it's sure. to be taken with a grain of salt, but like a lot of other people were offered this. I think it was going to be a Van Damme Schwarzenegger for a while. Yep. Yep. I've heard this. I don't think at least not in this era that uh, at least certainly not Van Damme had the chops to pull that off. Right. Schwarzenegger right. maybe because this right. is like true lies era and he's, he's like real good in that. Um, I feel like Bruce Willis was one of the people attached to it, but it was he was like matched with somebody like it's like Bruce Willis, yeah. Dolph Lundgren, where it's like ah, ah. they had all these pairs so, that I've read about. It's yeah. so weird. It's so weird that they ultimately landed on Travolta and Cage because on paper I'd be like absolutely not, and it turns out they were one hundred and fifty percent the exact right duo for the job. Totally, it and- really leans on them. 
And by the way, I think that's why this movie, this is the other thing. I, I thought about this so much while watching it. I do think this movie is going to like really stand the test of time in a way that not a lot of other stuff of its era will necessarily, because I think I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. And I think it is mostly that as we are, you know, not that we've reached the full arc of either of these actors career at this point, but I think we've got enough of both of their work at this point in 2021 to safely say, those guys are two of cinema's ultimate weirdos. And for yeah. the for the rest of time, while people are looking, digging through the history of Hollywood and movies that were made in Hollywood, this will end up always being interesting to movie fans. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Because it's a, it's like a bang-up action movie. Yep. It, it, like, it's a really great action movie. Totally. The action yes. is absolutely incredible top to bottom. The stunt work is great. The direction's good. Yep. It marks that transition in the early 90s where we all started recognizing that Hong Kong has a cinema of its own and a language of its own and that, that we had been borrowing from in our action cinema without advertising it for ages. Yep. It marks a Hong Kong auteur. Um, I hope he's from Hong Kong or I'm going to sound like a real racist. Uh, John Woo. I'm not sure, uh, but I can tell you for sure his movies are definitely considered part of like the HK cinema movement and stuff. So okay. I think you're safe to say that. I was that. just afraid that maybe he was Japanese and I was like really fucking up. Um, no, <laughs> no. I, but no, because yeah, he's, he's Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. You know, and so it represents this auteur coming to America and kind of paving the way for other genre filmmakers from overseas to come to America. Yeah. You know, like, honestly, like, Without John Woo, we would not have eventually had a parasite. Right, we would right. not have had the ring. You know, like that that kind of thing. Just all of these imports kind of happened because of his, you know, influences like his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have, like you said, these two weirdos that we don't necessarily think of as action stars currently. Right. We do think of as weirdos. And who we would never pitch for this movie, right? Knocking it out of the park, and and it be you know like it really is a classic for all those reasons. I I, I don't think this movie will ever to, like it's up there with like you know speed and yeah. and true lies and things yep. like that yep. as like the gimmick paid off and the gimmick changed the game and yeah. Whereas any other like permutation of these ingredients could have leave it, left it as a gimmick film. Yes. They caught that lightning in the bottle and it worked. Yes. Yep. Totally. I, I'm with you. And like, uh, you know, we may get a sequel to this sometime soon because it has yeah. been that indelible, right? Like, what, 25 years later, something like that? Like, they're talking about making a sequel because it just has been, just in that amount of time, has continued to be so popular and kind of stood up as a classic of this well, time. Everyone's relationship with this movie is one where we actually, like, so many movies the reception is divided on the, the audience not knowing necessarily how to take it. Right. And like, this is one of those movies where I think everybody gets the tone. Mm -hmm. Now, whereas like scholars like you and I <laughs> would be like, oh, he's doing the Hong Kong melodrama thing and bringing yes. it to America. But it would also be accurate for a non-scholar to be like, yeah, it's a 90s action movie. That's yes. a certain thing. Yep. And so by, by being successful versions of all of these things, it, there's no way to take this in the wrong way. Like nobody's going to be like, well, that was stupid because everyone knows like, yeah, it's kind of dumb. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Nobody's going to be like, Oh, well that was like, just like aggressive with it. Cause no, the action is done well by a master craftsman. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no one's going to be like, well, yeah, it's kind of cheesy. It's like, no, the, the performers get the exact level of cheese. It's supposed to be. And they revel in it. Yeah. I, 
if you like find me someone on the planet who's like face off sucks <laughs> and you have found me someone that you probably should never speak to yeah because it's it is it's one of the only movies actually i would say that i i would say 99 of its audience knows how to receive it despite the fact that it seems like a niche sort of thing right yeah that totally makes sense to me and it's like even the script is like this weird animal that is so good but so like it obviously is cheesy like you you hear some of this dialogue and it's not just because these two actors are delivering it it's like weird cheesy dialogue but mm -hmm. it also in 10 minutes builds a rivalry that once they switch faces literally 15 minutes into the movie i am already on the edge of my seat nails in my fingers biting them like oh my god i can't believe this is happening to these guys you know what yeah. i mean i that's i i feel that like how is he going to get his body back? This is a nightmare situation. Yeah. When Sean is stuck in jail and stuck in Castor Troy's body and he's like in a, you know, in a, a solitary confinement. Yeah. That's a nightmare scenario. Yes. That's horrifying. Yes. And even knowing that everything's going to be fine in an hour and a half, I still cringe at that point. And it's because they laid out the character work so well and so strong, even with this weird soap operatic tone. Yeah, I mean, you know, you and I have talked many times about how much we delight in the moment in Furious 7, the seventh Fast and Furious movie, where The Rock looks out the window of a hospital room, sees fire on the horizon and says, Toretto, and then <laughs> turns around to join the action. It, Daddy's got to go to work. It took him seven movies to be able to have a character look out a window, say another character's name, and we know to jump out of our chairs and cheer. It yeah. took face off 10 fucking minutes. In 10 yeah. minutes, he looks out a window, says Archer, and I jump out of my chair and go, yeah! <laughs> looks like, out a window of a plane yes, into yes. the window of a helicopter. Yes, yes. Because that's where we're at. Yes. <laughs> it's like insane. In 10 minutes, but that's remarkable. What I love about that opening scene is we learn a few things about those characters through yes. the action. One, Castor Troy will kill people that, uh, like, he killed a pilot even though he had no one else to fly the plane. Yes. Because that's how he does things. He just wings it like that. Yep. Sean Archer will go against anything everybody says is logical in order to get his man by hijacking a helicopter and going to it. Yep. Uh, Castor Troy delights in pissing off this guy that is his enemy. Sean Archer has absolutely no sense of self-preservation when it comes to stopping Castor Troy. Yes. And all of this stuff is stuff that I know within five minutes based on how they, uh, how they comport themselves through an action sequence. Yes, yes. That's impossible. Like, you know, that, that's so quickly done and it's through. And once again, I got to credit Wu because Hard Boiled is that. Totally. And it's, uh, you know, it's exposition through action, right? It's action as yeah. exposition. It's it's brilliant. It's like, I don't know. It's that thing where you go like, I mean, is it really that hard to do this? It must be because there are not many movies that achieve this, you know? Mm -hmm. and well, you know, this brings me back to that question that I had before of like how we receive them. Yeah. If I were to, because I, like, I don't even know if that's a fair question, but it, it, there's something there. And I, I wonder if like, because this movie is so shameless, yeah. in just painting with those broad strokes enough in that action sequence that it almost creates these small character elements through the action. Yeah. Now I think for fear of criticism that it's painting through broad strokes, 
we end up getting stuff that's either overexplained or not explained at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, like you I would, you would need to have someone saying like, Archer, you, you, you don't even care that you have a family. You could die here. Why are you doing this? <laughs> and like, and then that would just be ridiculous. But that's established silently in this movie through the behaviors of Archer and the performance of Travolta. Yeah. And so like, I, I feel like because you know, there was a period before we all knew how to accept face-off where someone might be like, that's stupid. Why would he do that? Yeah. That, you know, just the the hive mind of writers would be like, yeah, you're right. That's bad news. You know, right, right. the same way that after another Nicolas Cage movie, that after uh, adaptation, suddenly every writer decided narration is bad. Yes, yes, yes. Narration's not bad. Bad narration's bad. And narration <laughs> can be a crutch that is improperly used, but it's not universally bad. Right. Or after the movie Sideways came out, because Paul Giamatti in that movie famously did not like Merlot, Merlot sales dropped. Because <laughs> some fucking fictional character in a, in a movie said he didn't like Merlot. Merlot is delicious. It has a complex yeah. flavor to it. A little dry for my taste, but I like it. <laughs> and so, like, I, I feel like maybe just seeing that, being like, ah, 90s action movies, they're dumb you end up getting like over explanation or avoid it entirely when it's yeah. like, no, there's actually like text in there. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree. Think, and I think nineties action movies in general are full of like really good technical craft that, yeah. oh, that yeah. lends itself to some of that. Like, Hey, you don't even need to put this on the page. Like if you get a good actor and put them through the right action, like well-directed action, they're doing a lot of the work that you would have put on the page in the dialogue. Yeah. I mean, you know, and this is like the heyday of like the Bruckheimer stuff. I mean, yeah, he's man. still doing things, but like there was a certain expectation. Like this, these were flip the truck movies. Yeah. Where like, even if I'm not like, honestly, like when you go to see, if it's 1997 and you go to see Face Off, the reasons you go to see it are first and foremost, I want to watch boats explode. Yes. And all the story stuff is secondary. Lo and behold, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, now it's a little bit different, but like, yeah, that like action movies were action forward then. And so I think there was more room to play in the sandbox of we can tell the story through this action because we had a whole bunch of budget thrown at this scene. Whereas now it's like, all right, well, we could do the action in a green screen. Yeah. Um, let's write another scene with some story. And so I think, yeah, the, the format is, is quite different. Speaking on that, as long as we're here, I mean, the action in this is legitimately incredible and it's mostly because like i mean i guess i could be wrong about this i'm just sort of talking from having watched the movie not because i know anything about the background of it but like i don't know if there's any digital work in this movie at all like the, yeah. when they drive that plane through that hangar that doesn't even look like a miniature to me that looks like they've spent the money to fucking drive a plane through a fucking hangar like yeah. it looks this movie looks huge and wild every time they want it to and that is literally every 10 minutes, you know? Yeah. Real fire, real sparks. Yeah. Real the real stunt people. So much wire work. And oh like my God, nobody yeah. takes a bullet and doesn't have either a squib, a giant cord pull, yep. or both together. Yep. Oh, yep. uh, there's that guy that gets hit with a shotgun blast in an action scene. You probably know exactly which one I mean, because there's one in mm. particular where he just like flies across a room after taking a shotgun blast to a chest. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. And like, you know, now we, we tend to just like launch them off and not launch them, just like regard them off screen. Yeah. And once again, I am painting with broad generalizations. Yeah, yeah, here of course. Yes, yes. Because we live in a world. John Wick John exists, Wick. right? Yes. We, yep. you know, nobody we live exists. In a world with nobody. Yeah. We live yeah. in a world where there is, you know, Mad Max, yes. all this stuff, sincerely good action. I never want to be the guy that's like, nah, I don't make them like they used to. They Agreed. always made them Agreed. like this and they always will. 
it's just as the tools change there's growing pains and then there's in the writing style we favor different things and so I, I think honestly that's why Mad Max took off so big is you know partially because it oddly enough you know a, a series that is associated with like a problematic fave is now one that actually has like a pretty socially conscious message. Yeah, yeah. But I think what actually resonated beyond that with that movie was the notion of this is a movie that wasn't seen action, seen action yeah, where yeah. we're incrementally working forward through the plot. It's moving forward and the story is being told during the action. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I, and I don't want to shit on Marvel because I love Marvel. Yeah. But a lot of the Marvel movies, just by the nature of how they're built and the technology that they use, the story doesn't necessarily come through in the action. Yeah. You get a cool action sequence, then we find out the response to it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And then, and then yep. another scene sets it up and we go to it. You know, generally speaking, I think Endgame actually does a really good job of, of telling story through action, at least in those final moments. Mm-hmm. But like, you look at like the big throwdown at the airport in Civil War, that's a fun scene, but it has no weight. It's yeah, completely agreed. weightless through and through. And it's because everything else stops that we can do that. And then when that stops, we start the movie again. Yeah. And so, yeah, something like Mad Max uh, Fury Road has that forward thrust. And so I think that's why it resonated is because it is a throwback to Face Off. Like this is an action, a fucking action movie. Yeah. Story is secondary. But if we can tell the story through the action, even better. Yeah. We got two hours. Let's move. And I think it's pretty flawless in that regard. Well, and I, to me, like one of the biggest compliments that I can pay this movie is that I have seen this movie probably four or five times now. And I, every single time I watch it, completely forget that there's an entire boat chase and then (laughs) a harpoon fight after the boat chase. I like every time the boat chase starts, I'm like, I fucking forgot about this. And then the boat chase is like legitimately like an eight minute sequence. It's not like, it's not like they just chase each other on boats for a minute or two, which I feel like happens in quite a few James Bond movies. But it's like it's a big, long, prolonged, full of huge stunts. I mean, they drive a boat through another boat, if I'm not mistaken, uh, towards the end of this sequence. Right. Yeah, there's the uh, the police boat tries to right. stop them. They mow everyone down except for one guy with machine guns. And then the boat crashes through it as it explodes. And the one the one cop dives to his safety. Yes, it's incredible. Yeah, it's and, and it's actual stuntmen doing those things in camera as you watch boats fly around, you know? Like, it, it really is incredible stuff to watch. Even if you can tell that the stuntmen are stuntmen and don't look anything yeah. at all like the two actors you're watching. Like, it, it really cra- is so impressive. What's crazy to me is that that scene probably was written with, I have an idea for a boat chase. Can we get it into this story? Right. It does not feel like that at all. <laughs> so many times if I watch an action movie, um, an action scene will be happening. And I'll just be like, how the fuck did we get here? Why are we here? I'm into it. This is badass. Yeah. But like, it's very clear that they wanted to have this sequence and they didn't have anywhere to put it. I mean, the opening of the uh, Rogue Nation is a parody of that. They yes. wanted to tie him to a plane. They had nowhere to put it in the movies. They said, well, let's just open with it. Yeah. And then we don't have to. And it was a, it was brilliant because it worked and it was a commentary on that. Yeah. Face Off probably has the most egregious examples of we had a set piece first, but we needed to find a way in the movie, but it never, ever feels like they did that. Yeah. that bo- The reason they got on the boats is because they had to, yes. not because the script required them to. 
in the moment in the movie motherfucker got on a boat so the other motherfucker got on another boat and chased him that's like that feels impossible to me and that's also that's very uh hong kong action cinema too right like yeah the, the killer's got some boat action in it like i do think this is a thing that is like kind of a hong kong action cinema thing and you know they get in like a harpoon fight after that which feels like a again like when the premise is these dudes fucking switched faces, you're like, wait, it ends in a harpoon fight? Yeah. But but yeah, it fucking does. And it rocks. Like, it just like, it. I don't know. These things kind of work through John Woo's very particular and peculiar lens. You know, like they, they yeah. feel like they are naturally built to and built into the drama of the story, which is just incredible. I think John Woo's gift, both on a macro and micro level, is that he he can manage chaos. Yeah. Um, when, like, when I watched Hard Boiled for the first time, when we all went to uh, the Roxy to see Hard Boiled on the, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say big screen, on the medium screen. <laughs> um, the thing that got me about that is like the, the language he uses is not what we expect now, where it's very linear. Like we have to be able to follow the bullet. Yes. It's, it's calamitous. Yeah. But never to the point where oftentimes we see now it's calamitous enough to put a big wall between you and the, and the movie and just say, wait until the calamity's over. We'll tell you who won. It never yeah. has that. It has a poetry to it. And I think that if you expand that to a larger macro level, you get something like, like face off. Like it is, this movie's fucking chaotic. Yes. But at no point does it ever not feel like it's like one of the rules of, of screenwriting is typically, and this is actually a rule that, that I learned from the South Park guys which is so many stories go, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And they said that part of the writing process is they try to follow the rule of this happened, but this happened, therefore this happened. Yeah, yeah. And as long as you follow that, the dominoes keep falling. And it feels a lot less like a little kid telling you a story of just, ah, and then this, and then I saw, you know, like it actually yeah, yeah, has. Yeah. A and I think that that tracks here beginning to end. Yeah. And even though it is managed calamity, there's boats, there's harpoons, there's a, a guy high on drugs in a giant gunfight, <laughs> the SWAT team shows up and it's right, like it's it's crazy, but at no point do you ever ask why. You go, well, this is happening because this happened. Yes, yes. And because this happened, that's what brought us here. So it ends up being really manageable. And I think that that hard boiled follows that. Yeah, I think that the killer follows that to a T. I totally. mean, that's a little bit more of a together movie than that's less of like a fucking party. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's more of a narrative structure. But yeah, like I think John Woo's grand skill as a filmmaker is he is very, very good at making sure there's no gaps in the dominoes like that. Yeah. And, and credit to the, the screenwriters as well, because I think totally. this, it would be ridiculous to not uh, credit them for this. I don't it's, think this was a Woo written movie. It's also like, I don't know if this is going to track because frankly, as I'm about to say it, I'm like, well, I've never seen one of those before. I've never been to the opera. So this is maybe a dumb comparison to make. But I do always think of this movie as being like particularly operatic, even as, you know, mm -hmm. that, that is often a word that I think is used to describe uh, action movies for different reasons. This one to me feels like that word is actually like kind of apt in the way that all of the emotions are big and broad. I mean, it's melodrama. All of the emotions yeah. are big and broad. All of the story points are big and broad. But, you know, they are used. They, they are calamitous, but they are managed. They are used to a sort of pointed end um, that, that makes it work, you know? I like opera, and I've seen yeah. a few. And the one rule of opera, and it's the same as the rule for musicals, is 
it's essentially people singing at you what they're feeling right okay yes you know like and so i think that's totally accurate what you just said yeah that's you know, and a soap opera is, you know, it's called a soap opera because they were selling soap to moms that stayed at home, you know, it was a generalization, but like, it's, it's an opera because it's just pure melodrama. It's just people stating what they feel. And then us just watching those pieces knock around. So I think that this is definitely operatic. And I, I think, you know, soap operatic is the melodrama. Operatic is the melodrama plus the epic feeling of somebody singing this this you know opera is is a physical exertion talent you know? yeah like, yeah to sing is difficult to sing operas you know there, there's conditioning you know to both and, and opera is intense you know you don't get people who sing operas sing two operas in a row you know they, they go oh that's interesting yeah yeah most most opera guys like you'll never see an opera playing two nights in a row at least not with the same cast because it's it's a it's a herculean feat of throat and vocal cord management so yeah, face off is fucking operatic as hell because it's a lot of people broadly displaying their feelings and doing it through explosions and machine gun fights. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I think it's to- it totally tracks. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, I, I I like that you're able to like give some context to my totally random thought. Dude, go to the opera. I should. I you think should. I would probably it's like really it. A lot of fun. It's so much fun. It's it's uh you know, the skill on display is amazing, but you yeah. also get to see a play that's put together. And a lot of opera is comic. Like I saw a trio oh. of comedy operas once and they were slapsticky. They were really funny, like mistaken identity. And even though the one I saw was in Spanish, they had a running subtitles, uh, you know, screen that just okay. lets you know what's going on. Uh, Jenna and I went to an opera a while back and it was totally in English. It was an English opera, which sounded crazy because you never think of opera in English. But when you hear opera in English and they're saying how they feel and blah, yeah. blah, blah it really drives home this connection you're making with face off that it's like, you know, cause when we hear something in a foreign language, it elevates it in terms of artsiness. Yes. Even if, you know, if I was speaking Italian and I listened to an Italian opera, it would just sound the same as the American one sounds to me. Yes. Without yes. that layer to it, it becomes very clear how much they're just singing what they feel. <laughs> but like, I, I mean, think of any song ever. Yes. You're just explaining how you feel at that moment, unless you're Warren Zevon, then you're telling a story. Yeah, uh, yeah. But like, yeah, it, you. moral of the story is you can get opera tickets in Philly for pretty cheap. You should go. I probably will. I yeah. Su- suddenly as we're talking about this, I'm like, oh yeah, I would like that. Like think about the movies that I like. Like I probably would dig that. It's cool. Big set pieces, lots of drama, lots of comedy, good stuff. And the music's great. You get a live pit orchestra. Oh baby, it's killer. Hell yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. Um, now, if they made a face-off the musical or a face-off opera, I would definitely see that. I would see like, the shit out I of it. I want to take his face off. <laughs> Literally, you could do the, the opera arm that everybody is familiar <laughs> with as you sing out, but just to take the face off. Yeah. Um, that would be amazing. So funny. Um, uh, oh, well, one other thing I wanted to mention about this was just I was thinking about the fact that there was this Wingard Barrett sequel announced recently. Right. And that's very interesting. I would be very excited to see what that is and how they would do that and blah, blah, blah. But what it mostly made me think about was something that I somehow never put much thought into before watching this movie the other day post a sequel announcement from that particular team. The guest already is a face off movie. Yep. We're just only seeing one half of a face-off story, basically. 
Yeah, he's like, being someone else. Based on what we know about him, he definitely had some kind of surgery to change the way his face looked. Like, it is a face-off movie. It's I, yeah. like I don't know how I never really. I always think about it as you know Halloween slash Terminator. I never think about it in face-off terms. And when you think about it in face-off terms, a lot of that movie makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he's Castor Troy in a in a family's house where yeah. he's pretending to be someone else. Exactly. That's wild. I never thought about that. Yeah, I, I'm so curious as to the angle that they're going to take this. I know, me too. Because in my head, if I make a sequel, it like they like the surgeries that that put them back to normal. You know, as we know how these things go, they now both have horrifying plastic surgery face because they're in their 70s. They both look like Stallone, and uh, you know that's that's where I go with it. But like I'm, I can't imagine you sequelize Face Off without introducing another swapping of faces like that i right? feel like that has to be there yes whether it's sean archer and caster troy or some other thing you know remains to be seen but like it has to happen yeah i agree with you i think people have to switch faces frankly i think it should be those two actors again i think the most interesting version of a face-off sequel is not one where it's somehow legacy characters that switch their faces or or their sons that switch their faces, or I genuinely think the most interesting face-off sequel is for some reason these guys have to do it again. Which sounds dumb. That sounds like, you know, that sounds like in the 90s when we started worrying about sequels, like what we would worry about, like, oh, what are they going to do? Have these guys have to switch their faces again? You know? But, like, that actually does feel like what I want to see out of a face-off sequel. Yeah. I mean, what other option is there, really? Yeah. yeah. Now, granted, I I trust the team behind it. Yeah, to totally. Come up totally. with the best option of yes. you know whatever it is. Sorry, your dog is so cute, and I can see him in the background I laying know. down like a good boy. Yes, he's um, adorable. Yeah. So um, I wrote down a couple things. I mean, one we have to talk about. Woo is very heavy, just on the motif of face. <laughs> Everybody in this movie is obsessed with faces. The uh, face waterfall. Uh, yeah, the the Archer family bonds by twinkling their fingers down the faces of one another. Yeah, that's how they show uh, fondness for one another. I guess it's yeah, the weirdest right. thing. It exists only in a movie that is operatic. Yes, yes, but it's very at home. You I know, agree. It, it it totally works, and I think that the camera spends a lot of time up in everybody's face. Yes, it does. And that usually bothers me. Um, it, it bothers me a lot sometimes does not bother me here because I think it works. I think it's um, so because there's so much thematic richness to any close up in a movie where the premise is that's somebody else under that face. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It just, there is just an added weight to every close up, especially of Sean and Caster um, in this movie because we just know the other guy is underneath what we're watching. You know what I mean? I, it, mm-hmm. it's, I, it's so simple, but it's such a good trick. But it also like ties to, uh, you know, I think it, it ties into the themes of like Sean's family. Like metaphorically, he wears a different face at work than he wears at home. That totally makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, uh, when you're in a relationship with someone for a long time, like him and Eve are, you put on a mask. There's certain faces that they wear. His daughter's whole thing is that she puts on a different fashion look every day because she doesn't know who she is yet. Yes. Um, that actually, I gotta say, that made me laugh this wild, time around. 
yeah it's so obvious and i love that uh when he uh rips her boyfriend through the window <laughs> shatters the window to pull him out but um that rapist boyfriend played by real life convicted rapist now dude like, I, oh. tori and i were like wow this is a problematic scene that has oddly aged well you yeah know what it I mean? works out well yeah but like yeah that was um but like that's another thing like she's putting on a different face yeah. for different people in different yeah. situations totally. so very big on the on the face stuff it, it did really make me laugh how different she looks every time she's on camera in the movie I don't know that I ever clocked before that she literally is wearing an entirely different style of like clothing mm. and hair every time we see her. And that, that really made me laugh this time. The, um, uh, I, where is it? Boop, 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 boop. Couple lines that I wrote down. Oh, please. Uh, I found that my new favorite character outside of the main players this time around is Caster Troy's bald buddy. Yes. who, you know, all things considered, actually seems like a pretty cool guy. Yeah, I know what you mean. If yes. you, if you yes. divorce from, because like when when Sean Archer Caster Troy shows up, it's it's nothing but, oh, I'm so glad that you're alive. Come on in, sit down. Let's do, you know, like he's like the friend that you want. Sure, he's like largely a piece of shit, but he's like the friend that you want. But he has a great line when, uh, when, uh, uh, Cat, well, Sean Archer, Caster Troy. Yes. He's high on drugs and is all freaked out. He says, What's the matter? You look like you just fucked your mother. Yes, I know. That is insane. It's like I, I did a triple take on that yeah. line. I'm like, seen a ghost, sure. You look like you, you know, you look like you just caught death, sure. You yeah. look like you just fucked your mother. And I'll tell you what, if I just like awoke out of a stupor to find that I had fucked my own mother. <laughs> I think my reaction would be even more intense yeah. than the one that he is referring to. Um, I thought that then, guy's performance was really good, uh, actually, because that moment that Sean returns, I got a nice, well, that caster returns, I got a nice read on him of like, oh, I'm so glad you're, you're back. Like, I got a read yeah. on him that he was like, caster is actually fucked up in a way that goes way beyond the pale and i did yeah. not like having to be around him and a part of his gang i was glad to find out he was in prison oh you're back like knowing that he's so powerful in his insanity yeah. that he has to be nice to him but yeah, realistically yes yeah. realistically wanting to have distanced himself from him you know now was he supposed to be gina Gershon's brother Oh, yes, dude. Okay. Tori and I had a big yeah. conversation about this. Because, because they, they share a pretty hearty smooch, which oh, is strange. They share an intimate smooch. And that's why I was, when she kept saying her brother's dead, I was like, which character is she referring to? Was it I, him? Are we sure I about am, that? I mean, Tori and I had this exact conversation, and that okay. is also what we got out of it. That, yes, okay. that man that she full-on made out with just seconds ago is her brother that she's now upset is dead. Jeez, who is she, Angelina Jolie? I, it, it, I, it blew both of our minds. We were like, wait, no, that can't be right, right? And then we like, we started thinking about it. We started trying to figure it out. And we were like, no, I think that's exactly what that meant. I want to double check, but I think it is on brand for the movie that that's the thing. Oh, sure, yes. Because that fuels the future decision for Caster Troy's son to be adopted by the Archers. Right. 
Although he does sort of pull a uh, a uh, I'm your woman move where he's like, guys, I got my face back and uh, we're parents now. I got this kid. He's ours. Yep. We're keeping him. Yep. Hold everything. But I, um, I got us a replacement son. No cost. Don't worry yeah. about it. Come come, run your fingers down his face. Check it out. You're he's literally him. exactly the age that our son was when he died. Yeah. It's as if we lost no time. And he looks exactly like him. Yeah. Um, I did like, though, that... Uh, because that that moment where where the bald guy and Gina Gershon make out for a second is very yes. weird, but it also like it speaks to this weird like the way that their thing was is like Castor Troy is not there for his child. Yes, the only person that could possibly provide for this child in this world is the number two in command. Yeah, yeah, which happens to be her brother. Yeah, and this movie makes no bones about the fact that Gina Gershon's not some trapped lady who's actually good right she's also like a pretty hardened criminal as well yes yes um, they even play some humor out of it where she says something awful and then she says to the kid like i don't ever want to hear you say anything <laughs> you know, like, yeah 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 so even though that's gross to to see yeah it, it tracks to the world that they live in is one of like you know what this guy i love him he is my family if he's gonna be the de facto father to my child and this is what we're gonna do this is what we're gonna do yep. you know that's like it, it it makes sense even if it's gross but there's also like a really heartbreaking moment when that guy ultimately dies yeah and it's a gruesome moment too i never noticed the blood pouring out of his uh oh, yeah. artery before right and as it's happening he's just like hey man you know we had some good times right and just like kind of, I, I don't want to say that i liked this guy this time around because it's obvious it's a piece of, piece uh, sure, of shit. sure sure but i'll tell you what he has a great attitude about things. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's what stuck with me was throughout this whole thing. I was like, he has a great attitude. And like yeah. you said, he's a little scared when Castor comes yeah. back, but he's yeah. also like, hey, I'm going to hook you up because obviously you're not, you're, you're doing poorly right now. When the SWAT team comes in, it's like, well, I might die today, but I'm going to take some of these fuckers out with me. You know, like yeah. it's, he has such a good attitude about it. Hey, run, take the kid and go. Yeah. I'm going to have to die for this. You go, you know? Yep. And like, it's, it's such a weird thing, but. No, no, I agree. I, you know, you know, I'm saying it really tracks it. I was just moved by his character, despite the fact that he's just scum. Oh, I'm, I'm fully with you. This is one of those things where it's like, this character kind of exists to draw a line in the sand, even for us, the audience, where it's like, there are still redeemable qualities about this guy. This is how we know just how evil Caster Troy is. That like, this guy that works with Caster Troy doesn't even want to work with Caster Troy. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it, it it does, it, it creates a nice kind of like, there is still some sort of moral structure that this guy exists within and he's afraid of Caster Troy. That's how we know that Caster mm -hmm. Troy is even further outside of that like moral universe or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also too, because like Caster Troy clearly has love for his brother. Yes. He ties his shoes for him. You know, yeah, that's yeah. like the running thing. He always ties his shoes for him because his brother's a genius, but he's like a savant with some mm -hmm. other deficiencies in the so in a social sense. And so to see, you know, for Sean Archer to see what Castor Troy is like with Pollux, but then also to see this alternate version of siblinghood within the ranks of Castor Troy is a very interesting parallel. Yeah. And you know, to to see that like the fucked up brother brother sister relationships that exist under the the rule of caster troy uh gives sean archer sort of another way of understanding him 
Because I, I do think too that even by the end of this, when he's got a harpoon in Caster Troy's stomach and he's screaming die with John Travolta's voice, which is anytime Nick Cage talks with John Travolta's voice, it's like a hundred Christmases. It's so good. <laughs> um, but even by that moment where he's yelling at him to die, I do think that the movie reaches a point where he has some sort of pity um, towards Castor Troy as opposed to just seething hatred. Yes. And that really came through this time around and never has before. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. And I think I kind of, I definitely this time felt like there was a little more thematic richness throughout the movie between these two men. I think anytime mm-hmm. I watched this previously, I mostly just thought of them as opposing forces, you know? Yeah. And And I think this time I definitely read just like a little bit of some kind of like, there's some sort of growth for both of these men over the course of this movie. And it has something to do with their relationship with each other. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So I do, there is something interesting there for sure. Um, I also think too, this goes back to what I said earlier. One thing that really got me this time is when he goes to shoot Sean Archer in the opening scene. Yeah. And kills the son. You can see on Caster Troy's face that he did not mean to do that. Right. And that he feels some type of way about it yeah yeah. now if he's upset because he goes oh my god i just killed a kid or if he's upset because he said oh shit i just made an enemy and it's going to be real personal yeah yeah yeah. remains to be seen but the fact that there's more than just eh, fuck it i got the kid too right you know that's like uh I i think there's something there more than just oh i failed my mission and now it's a you know i i there's more to that and that really resonated this time through especially through that weird mustache she has at the opening I, to, show, I, to show that time has passed since then <laughs> i know i love that that mustache she has in the opening actually I it's think so it cool it's really good in that uh it's the same way i feel about chow yum fat and his mustache disguise in the killer yeah. i for some reason find it really it's appealing so i yeah i don't know it suits the brand it yeah. just suits the brand it's part of that mustache is a melodrama yeah um Actually, in a, in the book of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's a lot of drama surrounding who gets to wear a mustache on the set of Lancer. It's very funny. <laughs> That's funny. But like, it actually goes into like what that means within Hollywood. Of, yeah. You know, who gets to wear the mustache. It's very fascinating. That's funny. But um, yeah, I feel like there's something more there in the Nick Cage performance at the opening. You know, he didn't just shoot the guy and fuck up. Like he feels some type of way, which I think is important, at least if we're the credit we're giving this movie thematically tracks. Right. I think it does sort back to there. Um, and we got to talk real quick just because we have to, when he, uh, for some reason is dressed as a priest yes. and assaults a choir girl. Yes. And, uh, and just has a, a fucking crazy moment while grabbing her ass. He is like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> it is so weird because it's like, on one hand, you're like, this very much feels like Nicolas Cage showed up to set and was like, I'm going to do some shit. You know, like it yeah. feels it feels so much like a Cage decision, you know, to like mm-hmm. act in that particular manner. And yet, in full view of the whole movie, it's a great one scene way of being like, this guy is not just a psychopath. Yeah. Like he's not just a, a murderer. You know, he's not just a mass murderer. He's not just any one thing. He is like fully unhinged in a way that like is indescribable. You could only describe it by showing a guy dressed as a preach, a preacher, like molest a choir girl in front of other yeah. choir girls. 
You know what I mean? It's like there's something about that moment that actually functions on a story level. And that's insane. Like, I don't even know. That's so wild. Well, one, I think that one day, uh, if I'm ever in a church again, which I won't be, I am going to have to say to the priest, hey, yo, preach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just to do that. Exactly. Um, but uh, the, um, I think what, like, as established, Nick Cage's character does crime for money. Right. And I think that the scene where he is the priest that assaults the girl lets us know that he also really likes it. Yes, yes. Like, he's sadistic because he gets off on being bad. Yes. And that's actually a running thing, too, because he always uh, he says it once as Cage and once Travolta gets to say it, where he says, yeah, but you're not having any fun. Yep, yep. And, and you know... He's saying he, that, like, this is about fun, too. E- even the line about I'd eat you like a peach, like, there's all these different little moments of, like, this guy literally ties sex to all of the violence in some way, right? Like he's like, he legitimately gets off on this stuff. And I, and so I do think you weirdly need the scene where he's a crazy priest, right? Like it's, it is not just crazy cage performance moment. It kind of is necessary to selling who caster is as a character. It almost feels like, it's like a moment where we unlocked the next evolution of cage. Like he always did crazy performances. You look at vampires kiss. It's crazy. But that priest scene is the first time he was that way. Oh yeah. And we've seen more of that since. So I just feel like that was like, he went through a Pokemon evolution. Yes. Like, so whereas that was a crazy cage choice, it was one that fit the character and then got inserted into his bag of tricks. Yes. And as much as you hate to say it about a scene where he's fondling some girl against her will, it's yeah. a fun scene. Like it's oh, a yeah. fun moment and it's played for, for, you know, gallows humor. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a wild scene. It's wild. Oh, it's, I actually forget the context of it. Like well, what, it's, what it's right there? after he set the bomb, isn't it? I believe he has just set the bomb. That's what it is. And yeah. So he so is, he's disguised as again, the he is celebrating his, he's tying sex to his crimes. He's to his violence. He is, he is literally having a celebratory. I'm about to blow up everybody in this room. You know, yeah. like like it is that. And get paid to do it. Yeah. Well, I wrote down this other line. I mean, there's the one that you know I could eat a peach for hours. <laughs> which I know he means like he would savor the peach, but I just feel like to me that feels weird because you just have to take very small bites of the peach. But he refers to women as peaches. <laughs> but the best line in the whole movie is in that uh-huh. opening scene when the undercover agent, he invites her to sit on his lap. He tells her he could eat a peach for hours. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to do my best performance here. And he goes, if I were to send you flowers, where would I wait? Let me rephrase. If I were to let you suck my tongue, would you be grateful? <laughs> yeah. And then he sticks out his inhumanly long tongue. Insane. And her, being a, 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 a high-quality agent, takes one for the team and sucks his tongue right then and there. It is insane. Holy <laughs> hell, what the delivery. Tori and I spent five minutes talking about this line. because It's so good. Because it's like, it's not even like, like, you know what it reeks of to me? Uh, I was out of the stand-up comedy game by the time Trump made his grab her by the pussy remark. Yes. But I had a bit loaded where it was like, I could be offended by the awful sexism of that and M, but mostly I'm bothered because that's like, 
there's like no poetry to that locker room talk. Yes, yes. That, that sounds like what it is. A 75-year-old man trying to talk sexy and failing miserably. Grab her by the puss. Get, yeah. get the fuck out of here. Yeah. That is, what are you, 100? Yeah. And Suck My Tongue is very much of that brand where it's like, oh, you're a dork. <laughs> well, the thing that made Tori and I laugh is just that like, and I... I I'm not saying this because I don't understand the line. I get what's happening in this line. Yeah, yeah. But it is very funny that it starts with, uh, what does he say first? He says, like, uh, if I were to send you flowers, yeah, where, would flowers where would I wait? Yeah. Let me rephrase that. Yeah, that if I is, were to let you, and he, he emphasizes yes. let. That yeah. is, it's the turn from the first thing he's saying to the second thing he's saying of, wait, let me rephrase that. That was the thing that Tori and I couldn't stop talking about. That was so funny to us that he starts by saying a thing that sounds completely innocuous. And then yeah. it's like, oh, hold on a minute. I forgot I'm completely a psychopath. Let me ask you what I meant to ask you. It shows him getting off on on making people uncomfortable yes. with the way he gets off on making people uncomfortable because he's doing a character of like, I'm going to say something romantic. Just kidding. I'm going to say something fucking disgusting because <laughs> I get a big old boner when I do. Yeah. And like, it's, and it's just, I get the sense that he has said that to a hundred different yes. women throughout his criminal career, word for fucking word. Yeah. You know, and like, but yeah, and it just sounds like such like, suck my tongue. Ugh. Are you 75? Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. And it's also the turn from like, hey, if I was going to send you flowers to if I were to let you suck my tongue, my tongue. Like, yeah. it's like it's not just like, hey, it's literally a turn from like, what if I did something nice to you for it turns to what if I allowed for you to do something disgusting yeah. to me? You know, like, yeah, it's so he thinks funny. It's funny. He thinks that that's a great joke. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's the whole thing is he he set it up and, and turned it like that because he thinks that that's fucking hilarious. Ha ha. Yeah. Um, let me see if I have any other crazy notes here. I mean, Tom Jane and the True Blood guy. What the fuck is his name from season two of The Wire? Oh, God. Yes. Uh, Frank Sabatka, right? Isn't he in this movie? Frank Sabatka. His name is something Brayer, I think it is. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what that actor's name him. is. I always I only know him as Frank Sabatka. I don't know why I went to The Wire page because that that show stars everybody. Oh, shout out to Ba. <laughs> um, and what the hell is that guy's name? You know, let me let me let me go to True Blood because I know he was on that show too. But I love that guy. He's a great actor. I am sitting on Face Off's page right here. I can Chris find Chris him. Bauer. Yes, yeah, that's correct. Yes, Chris Bauer. Yeah, him showing up. Tom James showing up. Like great, uh, just really, really great supporting characters. You guys, that Andre Brower as his as his partner that gets uh, burned alive. Uh, I don't think so. Hold on. I'm trying to figure out who oh, that no, is. Oh, no, that was uh, that was Robert Wisdom. Yes, correct. Because, yeah, CCH okay. Pounder is in this, too. Margaret yeah. Cho. Like, there are so many good, interesting actors throughout this movie. Yeah, uh, yeah Tom J. Uh, what's his name? Tommy Flanagan showed up in, like, a single shot as a henchman. Yeah, 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 yeah. You recognize that guy? He's famous because he just has, like, a scar across his face. Yep, yep. Right, yeah, he's in tons of stuff. Yeah, a lot of action West movies because of that scar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, a lot of people rolled through. Yeah, Danny Masterson. Uh, oh, wow. Do you see what uh, Joe Bob Briggs is credited as? No. John Bloom. 
Oh, interesting. I mean, Joe Bob's a character, of course. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder if that's, that's like his wild. actual name or just like his, uh, you know, his WGA or, you know, PGA or whatever guild, yeah, actors yeah, yeah. guild, uh, SAG uh, name. I, I think his real name is John Bloom. Yeah. But, um, yeah, also, this movie yeah, when, is... when Margaret Cho rolled in, I was like, oh, I, I always forget Margaret Cho's in there. And every time I watch Face Off, I'm like, oh, yeah, Margaret Cho's in there. I love her. I know. And she's like, you know, this feels very early in her career to me. Like, this oh, must yeah. have been a big break for her, I think. Well, she's like a kid. She's got to yeah, be in her she's 20s. She's so in young movie. in this. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the other thing that is interesting about this movie is it's over two hours long and doesn't feel it at all, really. Yeah. I mean, it's probably why I forget about the boat chase every time, because it, you know, it's like you're about to hit the two hour mark and then you get this like kind of extra extended finale with the boat chase, you know, but mm-hmm. it doesn't it's a, that is not to say it actually feels long. You know, it just is like, yeah, you get there and you're like, oh, fuck, I forgot about this. It's like so exciting, you know. Well, it's like 20 minutes before we get to any like story, you know, yeah. beyond what we talked about, like yeah, the story yeah. being told, because there's a giant opening action sequence. Yep. Then they have to teach us the surgery and yes. make us buy the fact that it's a, you know, that that it's a surgery thing and set up the stakes, like because it's not ethically sound, it's got to be, you know, secret. Yeah. Then we got to get him into jail. Then we've got to get to the point where Nick Cage takes a. Uh, Travolta's face, which is a great moment of body horror when he's got yes. the bloodied up face and he has to talk without his lips. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Um, then we actually get to where the the main thrust concept of the story of they have switched faces is. That's like 45 minutes into it, maybe longer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then we got to get him out of jail. Then we yep. got to deal with stuff at home. So it's like, there's a lot of movie here, but there's really nothing that feels extra. Really, the only thing you could cut are the big action sequences, and who the fuck would want to do that? Right, right. Yeah, and you're right, though. It's like, even the way you just described that, it's really, it's just because the movie is such a good series of escalations. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. we get him into jail. Oh, fuck, he's stuck there. Now we got to get him out of jail. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just a good series of escalations. And one choice I'd like to point off, point out. Actually, I do have a really funny note here that the one guy's ear gets shot off. Very gross just so that they can use the ear to explain the face surgery. Yes. Um, a scene in which they put a cigarette out on the comatose, comatose leg. Oh my God, I know. Detroit it's to prove so wild. It's so wild. Also, I thought, but that I thought that was going to come back later as, oh, a, yeah. as a, like a giveaway scar tissue, a especially because Travolta yeah. has his uh, bullet scar. But the choice, the craziest choice in this whole movie is the little boy, Michael Part 2, during the shootout, they put his headphones on so he can listen to his Walkman. Yep. And so that we can get a slow motion run and gun action sequence set to somewhere over the rainbow. Yep. That is the choice of choices. It's incredible. I always forget about that. And as soon as that happened, I was just like, man, holy shit. This is, it's bananas. It's it's, totally bananas. It's great. And couple that with the prison break sequence had a couple of shots that I think especially uh, Fate took directly out of the movie. Like, I think Fate Mm. of the Furious is paying direct homage to Face Off multiple times. There are shots throughout the prison break in in Face Off that I think are cribbed almost like verbatim in uh, the, the prison break in Fate. And... Fate has the big finale at the end of the baby wearing the headphones so they can set the action yeah. set piece to what the baby is listening to. 
Um, and they're doing hard boiled there too. Yes, because he's absolutely. Shooting yep. guns with a baby in his yep, arms. Yep, yeah. yep. They get to do both. Yeah. Um, I, like this movie really made me realize how much that entire series kind of owes to not just some of the action set pieces and stuff in this movie, but even the just general tone that those movies eventually get to. It feels like Justin Lin probably is the one that realizes it. Who's just like, oh, we just make these face-off movies. Like we make these John Woo movies yeah. and, and they work, you know? And he was right. They totally yeah. work. Yeah. That new one, man. So good. Oh, I did like that. The scene where you, my favorite scene probably in the whole series is in that movie. And it's the flashback race between young oh, totally. Dom and young Jacob. The song that that's set to is incredible. And it's like, there's just some real filmmaking there. It's, it's solid. I, think I we agree. Talked about this last week. Yeah, we did. Um, the only uh, other thing I have here is, uh, where is it? So the cinematographer is Oliver Wood. Yeah, I thought I recognized his name, but I wasn't sure. Well, if you look back, he is the equalizer. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, uh, Ben, well, the new Ben Hur, Jack Reacher. He did Anchorman 2, Two Guns, Safe House, The Other Guys, Surrogates, <laughs> Step Brothers. Wow. Born Ultimatum. So he works with Adam McKay a lot, it seems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the first of the new Fantastic Fours. Looks like uh, he shot all the Bourne movies, actually, or at least the Matt yeah. Damon ones. Yeah. But you'll notice deep down on the list, I'm just noticing now, he shot Freaky, Freaky Friday. Friday. Yep. <laughs> I just <laughs> noticed like, that as well. A lot of cool stuff. U571, Mighty Joe Young, Switchback, Face Die Hard 2. I, yeah, so like, there is a certain look to this movie, but it seems that this guy has a pretty uh, pretty wide uh oh terminal velocity. One of my favorite '90s actions. Yeah, I mean, uh, nothing else will tell you how much of a journeyman this guy is, other than comparing Face Off to one of his other movies that he shot, Pluto Nash, The Adventures oh, of or Pluto Bill, Nash, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Um, I don't know what Neon Maniacs is, but that sounds like it's right up your alley. Sure does. I'm putting it right on my watch list now. Holy shit. The screenshot from that looks incredible. Sure does. Okay. I'm into that. Yeah, man. I'm going to watch that soon. Oh, same director as Alligator. Or, sorry, same cinema. Oh, no, same cinematographer. So, uh, okay. Right on. Right on. So, yeah, this is like definitely a movie of craft. Um, Who did the music here? Uh, good question because the, the, the music the is wow. good, it's like really big and bombastic, and then yeah, it's got all that music oh. notes throughout. John Powell, solo oh, yeah. Star Wars story, How right. to Train Your Dragon 3D, Born Identity, bunch of the Shrek movies, Pan, some of the Born, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Captain Phillips. Okay, so this guy definitely that's wild that there's a lot of crossover between I know, uh, uh, what's his name, Greengrass, in here. Um, Oh, this guy scored tons of movies, man. Nice. A lot of animated stuff, but then also like Evolution and uh, Rat Race. uh, The Italian Job. Nice. Tons of animation, though, too. And actually, his solo score is quite good. I really like his score. Oh, yeah. I like Solo. That's just a good movie. Me too. Excuse me. That's a cool ass movie. Yeah. I don't think I have any other notes here on Face Off. But no, like, me neither. I we we ran through that quick. I mean, the other thing probably to bring up is just because I remember how much fun we had talking about this the the last time we talked about this movie, is how insane the final shots of the movie are. As he just forcibly adopts a child. Like, uh, is that kid in the system? Does he just avoid the system because he is the system? Like, 
He just brings a boy home and is like, he's ours now. Yeah. I feel like that's one of those things where it's a, it's like the concession that we like at the end of, at the end of scream, they don't show you the part where the cops have to prosecute her for murder. Right. Yeah. You know, like they, they just go, well, you know what? We all understand what happened. So we'll move forward. It's just yeah. one of those things where it's like, listen, they, these people, this kid doesn't have parents. This whole thing was about them losing their kid. We plug him in there and then we all That's right. On, yeah, you know? exactly. It's, it's a perfect the same puzzle force piece. that when two men are having a crazy fiery boat sequence that every sort of like, like uh, law enforcement power is just like, this is bigger than us. Let them have it out. Let them have, let them do their boat chase and we'll clean it up later. Like yes. it, it has a, it's the same magical force in all of these movies that allows you to just be like, Hey, you know what? Let them, yep. let them go when it's yep. done. We'll clean up the pieces. Uh, you know, what it's a, exactly the thing that we thought was left hanging brilliantly so in the box right where it's like you know like it left us asking those questions of what happens to this child here's yeah. the opposite where it's like no, no, no just they, they figured it out yeah there's the, the paperwork is not what you want to see so don't worry about it oh and i mean for me it's like especially now the kind of movie fan i am and what i've grown to really like about movies and stuff is like i fucking love this ending i think it's great that it's got this really oh, yeah. kind of like just it's such a funny moment of pure cheese and schmaltz that sits right at home in the kind of like you know overblown tone of this movie you know like it, it just feels at home in this movie for that to happen mm-hmm. um, it's perfect it's the right ending the daughter runs up she hugs him he gives her a face waterfall they introduce yeah. the kid she gives him a face waterfall <laughs> shows him his new room yep. crazy it's great love it yeah, I mostly I, I I guess the only other thing just because I thought this was so funny thinking about it, Tori can never get over the fact that Joan Allen doesn't know that this man has a different dick than her husband. Did you see my letterbox review? Oh, no, I didn't. OK, I'm going to read my letterbox review out loud to you, please, uh, because it's it's very on brand with that. Uh, I said an alternate version where Eve Archer goes, wait a minute, that's not my husband's penis. This tastes different. And Caster Troy's plan falls to pieces before it starts. <laughs> Tori cannot get over that. She's like, that 100% could never happen because you would know that it's a different dick, which I, I am to just have to accept that, but that is true. Uh, I and- mean, no two genitals of any type look right. the same. Exactly. And no two people fuck the same. And no matter how much plastic surgery you give a body, it, like you, you're not going to hide the mechanics of it. I uh, yeah and so we we were really laughing about that but then I was like well this just means that like and I think this could happen cuz I think if you let Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett make a face off movie they're thinking about these things too you know <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I was like That's I why would, they're the right men for the job I would love for a face off sequel to go through the whole surgery thing again set up all the same shots in the same order but the moment that you see them take the the actual kind of plastic mask and pull a face off when it when it actually does the literally pulling the face off of the skull i want the camera to pull back just far enough to show that there's a miniature version of the face-off technology that's (laughs) over the dick and is simultaneously doing a dick off as well 
Well, that that essentially uh, shoots any uh, any chance in the foot we had of this being rebooted with Vin Diesel and The Rock, <laughs> because there's no way that they will ever be able to come to an agreement regarding whose penis is depicted in what way on camera. Yes, exactly. Because they are both annoying ass bitches about who can win or lose a fight on camera. Oh, and uh, I and it, and it all comes down to the penis thing. Uh, so to, to literalize that is a recipe for some drama. I love it. Um, so the only final question I have about this movie then is uh, if we were to remake it instead of sequelize it. Yeah, yeah. Who are they? Who? Yeah. Yeah. Boy, who are they? Who do I want to see do this? Because again, I do think the key here is that these are two of cinema's legendary weirdos. And that is what yeah. is appealing about watching them play each other, right? So who are like legendary weirdos right now? But also like who are legendary weirdos that like, uh, are allowed to be in movies right now. I know it's a weird way to yeah. say that, but like, you know, Army Hammer might be one of the people you would jump to to be like, he'd be good for this, mostly because you're like, he's actually that kind of weirdo. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, off the top of my head, the one that it's sort of a boring choice, even though both of these guys would knock it out of the park. Yeah. I think it would be fun to see Chris Pine and Colin Farrell do it. Oh, shit. That would be fun. That would be fun, but it doesn't quite grab that weird no. thing. Definitely not. Who grabs that weird thing for me? Yeah, uh, Gos- Gosling does. Ooh. But I don't. I don't know who I'd put him across, dude. I, frankly, Joaquin Phoenix is a little old, but I like him as oh, one yeah. half of it. But I don't know who his other half is. I, does this grab you? You you want two legendary weirdos? They've already started a movie together. Just let them do it. Reunite the cast of the Nice Guys and have them remake Face Off. Have it be him yeah, and Russell I mean, Crowe. I don't know how you get those two cool. body types to. Uh, configure into that that's even more extreme i think uh than uh than the cage travolta how do these bodies actually work as each other's bodies but you could do it mm-hmm. i i could see it i mean i think that one just because of the nice guys in my head already has like this is the comedy version yes yes yep, like, yep. and like i kind of wanted to have like the fucked up body horror and, yeah like, yeah yeah I can see nice guy Colin Farrell freaking out in bad guy Chris Pine's body totally. and vice versa. I mean, you could. I think the key is you have to find two people that each of them you could switch it and it's the same. Because I think that if Nick Cage was originally Sean Archer and Travolta was Castor Troy and the face off went that way, yeah, yeah, I think it works as well. It does. Yeah, you're right. You know, uh, and so I, I think they have to be able to be switched both ways. You know who I just thought of, and I don't know that he configures with any of the other people we already mentioned, but I think Ben Foster is a great fit for one of our current cinematic weirdos who would do really yeah. well in one of these roles. Foster and Gosling's actually a believable one for me. Right? And I actually think you could pretty easily, I mean, I, I bet you agree with this. Caster Troy is Ben Foster and Sean Archer yeah. is is Gosling, right? Like it would be very easy to figure but out which side. Switch that. Yep. Still works. Still interesting. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. That still works. Oh, I could definitely see that. I could also see like uh you could do like a uh I don't see I can't I can't picture their sizes, but in terms of like guy who's good at being both good and bad. I think you could do a Boyega and mm. uh, what's his name? Kaluuya. Oh boy. Yeah. That's very interesting. Because in get out, Kaluuya is so good in yep. widows. Yep. Kaluuya is so evil. Yep. yep and yep. like Boyega, he's, you know, he's like a, 
he kind of plays both good and bad in like a uh, attack the block. He's a complicated character. Yeah. So I think he could do both. I kind of more see him as a good guy, but like scary bad guy Kaluya is scary as shit. He sure is. He sure is. Yeah, I would. I would definitely buy that. I think I would buy into that one too. I, like both of those actors, yeah. I think are so strong that it would be pretty easy to buy into them like as each other. Cutting Boyega out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, baby denzel uh oh god of course uh, yes john david washington john yeah. david washington yes agreed agreed and and actually yeah. even the even the body type thing makes a little more sense there right like that, yeah, yeah that works a little better in my head i don't know though he's like kind of a little guy yeah but isn't kalia kind of too or do i just think that i feel like kalia is like 10 feet tall is he he's huge yeah i feel but i don't know I, that might just be his presence i mean he's okay. like a hulking presence he is yeah but i can see that that's that's one way to do it yeah that's very interesting all right, yeah. let's put ladies in it. I know. What's the, what's the ladies so, switch? In my opinion, Kristen Stewart is a fucking immediate lock for this. She is yeah. a, a perfect weirdo that it, I think could actually play, again, both like dramatically weird character, like bad characters, yeah. but also like really good characters. I feel like the ladies version, and I don't mean this, I hope I, this doesn't come off as reductive, would actually come across more like more like it would be heavier on the drama than the action oh sure okay um yeah. and not not to say anything about the ladies in that sense but in terms of like what would be important in in the female law enforcement officers world or the female yeah, detectives yeah. world would probably play different than what are essentially a bunch of dick measuring action set pieces right yeah that is and i think that is an i think case to fits that yeah, that's um, a very interesting point. I think uh, on, but I mean, that's not a bad movie. No, no, no. I, 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 th I think that's genuinely interesting, though. That like, does that take the dick measuring out of it? And if you take the dick measuring out of it, like, how does that change the movie? I, I think that's actually yeah. a pretty interesting uh, uh, thought experiment. Um, what about an Emily Blunt? Oh boy, I just like watching her and stuff. So yes. Yeah. Uh, I want to see her as like a fucking bad guy because I think she's got that in her. I th yeah, actually, she probably would be. Uh, uh, actually, I, uh, Julianne Moore would be fun for this because she's so good at doing all kinds of stuff. But what you really need yeah. to think of is like Julianne Moore has that great scene chewing villain role in what is it, the second uh, Kingsman movie? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, you when just she kidnaps Elton John. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you made me realize how much I would like to see Emily Blunt like do a version of that. Like Emily Blunt would be good at at that kind of scene chewing uh, villainry. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, but yeah, who? Well, I mean, I think Aubrey Plaza might be a go-to uh, weirdo yeah. right now that would probably be pretty successful in a role like this. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, who's a really interesting uh, selection from, like, uh, some actresses right now for this. Because I, I feel like the ones I just named are the ones that are, like, the go-to weirdos. Like, who, yeah. who, are, who are the weirdos that are, like, outside of just like when i say weirdo you say Kristen stewart you know what i mean yeah like, and i'm trying to think of like i i would like to have it still be action so i'm trying to think in terms of like weirdos that can still hack action yeah um and uh, that's not to say like Kristen stewart can't that new charlie's angels movie was pretty awesome oh yeah um uh, she does some really good stuff in that american ultra movie too um like yeah, she, she, yeah. I, I think she could hack it with that stuff um, she's but, I mean, not incapable and Emily Blunt we know can because she has Edge of yeah. Tomorrow and she you know um, and I, I feel like it's almost cliche to say Charlize Theron but I mean she can do literally totally. anything totally. she can actually fly yeah 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 um, 
you know, I, that's that's her thing. Uh, I also, man, I don't know. If, we're definitely yeah, at the I'm point so- in movies where nobody actually needs to be able to do any action, right? Like anybody no, no, could no. be believable in these roles. Even even in the movie we're talking about, you're mostly watching other people do the action, and then they just cut well, to the actors we like. That's what I'm trying to capture. Is like there was a weird period where Nick Cage, who I don't think of as action, and Travolta, who I don't think of as action, were the face of action for like totally, three, four yes, years. Yes. You had The Rock. You had, you know, some people think of Pulp Fiction as action in some element. At least that's sure. the connective tissue to something like a broken arrow or something yeah. like a face-off. Um, man, that, that's a tough one. I mean, you got your Zoe Bell. She's, she's I thought of her. I did immediately. Action-packed. Uh, you know, uh, um, uh, gosh, why can't I think of her name now? She just had that big role on The Mandalorian. She was in Clerks 2. Why are these the things I know her from? Rosario oh, Dawson. Oh, Rosario Dawson. Why are these the things <laughs> yeah. I know her from? <laughs> yeah, Rosario Dawson. Okay, so who do we switch her with? Yeah, who's Rosario go with? Um, uh, See, it gets, what sucks is it gets murky when you... And this is one of like the weird byproducts of just like the way we are is like it gets murky when some someone is of nondescript race sure because you have to be consistent because that's a tough one it totally is for one thing i do think the nature of the face-off premise just as easy as it is for them to be like yeah and the changes in weight we just do a little bit of plastic surgery they just go like yeah we just give them a little tropic thunder surgery and that takes care of this you know like my my point being though is that naturally it then becomes about that i agree but that so you know, and, and as as to some degree it should, it's just this movie would be hindered by those considerations, at least in terms of pacing. That was how my brain went to um, and now I can't think of this actress's name, Karen Filippelli from The Office. Um, you know, Jim's girlfriend in the third season, and then she ends up not actually I've never doing seen the show the that much. Oh my gosh, she was on Parks and Rec as well. She's uh, what's her name's best friend? Hold on. I'm going to get this. And you're going to be like, yes, she actually would work next to Rosario Dawson in this role. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I have for my Rosario Dawson pick is Tandy Newton. Dude, that's actually great. That is way better than the pick I'm about to give you. I am full in on that. I would love to see Tandy and her in in a movie playing opposite each other and having to play each other. You know what I mean? Tandy Newton would be such a good villain when she gets like, like catty and delicious. Oh my God. It's amazing. Oh, she would be so good. Rashida Jones is who I was thinking of. Oh yeah. I think is like exactly the same kind of like racially ambiguous. And so would fit like slot in right well there. And, also was one of those actresses. I like her I, a lot, yeah. And I always feel like she never actually gets to do what she's really capable of in like most mm-hmm. of the stuff that she's in. I feel like fa- a face-off movie is the perfect way for her to actually be like, look at what I am fucking capable of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because she's so charming that you almost cast her for her charm and right. it ignores the fact that she's she's a compelling actress. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm into that choice. I can yeah. live with that. I can fuck with that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, nice. I, I could do that. I think we I think we lightly nailed that, right? Yeah. <laughs> what if we're going like full comedy? Full comedy face off, comedy action. I mean, you know, we're doing like the other guys. Is it Jack Black and Seth Rogen? Okay. Isn't it Jack Black and Seth Rogen? Actually, yes. That actually is the better <laughs> answer than what I was going to give because the answer I was going to give is I think most people would tell you they want to see the Will Ferrell John C Riley version of that, right? Yeah. 
that, but that's the same movie as we, they've already yes, done. Yes, <laughs> exactly. No, you just you you found it immediately. That is what yeah. it is. It's Seth Rogen and Jack Black. It's getting them in a movie together finally because I don't think they've been in yeah. one together, and having it be those two fucking schmucks playing each other. You know, the thing is, I feel like with comedy, that's where you you almost have to invoke people who are so physically different. Yeah. So yes. like the two of them being schlubs doesn't quite match up but like you have to go twins where the joke is that they couldn't possibly be twins so like you would have to do like you know you'd have to do uh you'd have to do like a a a jack black but then like a ryan reynolds yes so that you have like the uh oh i get to be a hunk now ah i'm a little slope now you know and but i i don't like ryan reynolds for it just because like i'm i'm he's such a good actor and all he does is play ryan reynolds now so i don't like (laughs) yes well, I also think uh, you did. I, I at some point earlier in our conversation, I had the thought that the movie Twins already is kind of the comedic version of Face Off because yeah. I I had the same thought you did, where it's just like they do have to be opposite body types, right? Like if you're doing yeah. a comedy version, it's got to be the opposite body type. Um, uh, but also, uh, fucking the new Jumanji movies are doing yeah, what they do that. They're doing what you're actually asking for in the comedic version of this, right? Which is Jack yeah. Black plays somebody else entirely and 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 The Rock plays somebody else entirely and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I only saw the first of those new Jumanji movies and Jack Black, the teenage girl yes. who is being taught how to pee standing up by all the other dudes is really funny. I need to see those movies. I've seen neither of them yet, and I genuinely first one was would fun, like to man. see them. Yeah, I, I didn't see the second. The first one's pretty fun, but yeah, like Jack Black being taught to pee with a penis is a <laughs> really, really like on paper, man. That that crushes, yeah, and then in action, it's just incredible. You know, it's it's a silly movie, but he's, that was one of those things where I'm like, this. I'm glad this is happening. He's just the best. He really is. He's the best. Yeah. Do you follow his Instagram at all? Uh, I follow his YouTube channel, which I assume probably shares it's a lot probably of the same similar, content yeah. and is wonderful. I love him so much. Yeah. I love him so much. Yeah. He's the best. I-, I love how much his son has gotten into like teaching him how to use like modern technology <laughs> yeah. to make his videos funnier. And so they just are constantly working together to like do TikTok tricks and stuff, you know, like it's, it's very funny. Yeah. That's like, oh man, his life is something that I love because his yeah. Instagram is him just like playing in his backyard. Mm-hmm. He plays superhero stuff. He gets painted green like the Hulk and he yep. stacks like cardboard bricks and punches through them and screams. And it's just like, yeah, man, like I'm I'm glad that you're one of the guys who made it because you deserve it and yeah. you, you're using it well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I don't I think I'm exhausted on the face off. I think I think that that's it for me. I don't know if I got right. anything more on this. I got I got one more okay, face off yes. option for yes. you. What and you this is going to blow your mind and your mind specifically. Yeah. Face off, the reboot. Yeah. Godzilla Kong. Oh, yes. I'm all in. Dude, <laughs> if if when they finally announce whatever Adam Wingard's next project actually is cuz you know they announce like whatever, like four yeah. potential next Adam Wingard projects. When they finally make the announcement, if it's just that, hey, remember all the movies we announced? They're actually one movie. He is making another King Kong Godzilla movie, and it's also his face-off sequel. I would go bananas, which is a yeah. dumb reference to make while talking about King Kong. But I, yeah, it's all good. I would, I would love that. That would be so amazing. That would be incredible. That's the shit. I Maybe love because, by the way, I love the idea that that means 
a giant radioactive lizard is walking around with a monkey's face on and a giant uh, like interdimensional monkey is walking around with a giant lizard's face on, right? I think what would happen is Godzilla would be, he would have to learn how to use his newfound dexterity. So he'd be like clumsy about it. And Kong would keep accidentally discharging his fire breath. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in the other one's body because he was, oh, oh, shit, I forgot I had that. Godzilla wouldn't know any of the sign language. And so that's how they'd figure all this out, right? The little girl would yeah. be like, how come you don't understand me? <laughs> there'd, be, there'd be the scene where they do the voice chip. Yes, he's, yes. Doing like, he's doing the screonk. The, yeah, yeah, they yeah. activate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, perfect. <laughs> I, I did. Okay, actually, this is perfect. One of one of my big notes about Face Off, I, it may be my only complaint about the movie, is that so early in the movie, they give you the setup of it really would not take a lot to dislodge the chip we've put in your throat. They like they 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 specify that like yeah. that is barely hanging on a thread. So in my mind, if I am Sean Archer trapped inside of Castor Troy's body, trapped inside of a secu- you know a, a secure prison. The first thing I'm doing is karate chopping myself in the neck over and over again so that my voice comes back and I can be like, you have to know this is weird and means I'm not who I look like I am, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you're quite the impressed impressionist, Mr. Yeah, Troy. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh my god, no, it's me. I just couldn't believe that he didn't immediately start just like chopping himself in the neck over and over again. So I go the other way. It's so fragile that a karate chop can take it out, but like getting blown out of a boat and yes, beat yes. up and shot at and thrown off of a prison and and you're fighting people and you have met like I don't know. Yeah, yeah, agreed. That's my only complaint. He should have just immediately throat chopped himself. Problem solved. Your, your face is back. Yeah. I do love, too, that, like, the whole the whole point of having a electronic lockdown boot system. Yeah. Like that That's, like, an insane high concept. And they don't even use it for any, like, dynamic action. Nope. It's just there to explain away, like, why he's got to cut the power, why they have to have <laughs> yep. the cool buzz-your-head electric chair, yep. you know, why, uh, you know, and so they can have that shot where he falls over, but his feet are still planted. Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, we love the concept so much, I don't even care if we don't use it for anything. Go. Well, and my understanding is this started as a, a set-in-the-future science fiction script, and John Woo basically was yeah. like, you know how I'm going to save us a lot of money so that we can do a better boat chase? It's no longer set in the future. It's just set now, and we just happen to have face-off technology. And then never also change the details about the future prison with yeah. magnetic lock feet, you know? I think that makes sense, but it, like, totally works. It's it does. Like the, it's the exact level of tech in this world that allows you to purchase the idea of the face-off tech. Right. It actually is kind of a smart move to not change that future part of the script either, the the like boot tech thing I mean. Because it's like it 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 purchases the idea that yeah face-off technology also exists in this world. Like it's it yeah. it is it is not an alternate universe in which face-off technology is the only difference, right? It's like, yeah. no, 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 this is this is a world in which there is some, you know, there have been some significant tech developments, you know, and as yeah. evidenced by not just the face-off technology, but also the Super Mario boots. It speaks to the idea of, like, these are privileged, te- privileged technologies that we, the citizens in 1997, don't know about. Right. But right. that law enforcement has access to because they're, yeah. you know, of a privileged... It sort of has that aspect to it, which is fine. Don't they actually... Um, and I also love the dated... 
doesn't doesn't John Carroll Lynch's character specifically say something about like this prison doesn't exist. No one knows you're here. I can do whatever I want to you. Right. Like they, they make some reference to being like an extrajudicial branch or something. Yeah. They're like, they're the, the super bad prison that right. just doesn't exist and also has a wall-sized television yes, uh, yes. in their cafeteria where they all hang out to watch animal videos right, and the news. Right. Yeah. The um and I, I do love the backwards tech of uh the bomb that they have that has oh, yes. Atari graphics of sexy ladies. <laughs> Very strange, but sure. I really I loved the that idea that like again, Caster Troy, such a fucking psychopath and maniac. He's got to program the bomb itself to be like a little bit of a tease, you know? Yeah. 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 You've you've successfully turned me off. And it's yeah, just like yeah. a, lady, a a Duke Nukem lady with her titties out. It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really enjoyed that. Uh, yeah. Th- this is genuinely like one of my favorite, uh, I feel like, American action movies. It, it, it is and one so, of the best. It's perfect. It really is because it's like, yeah, you can nitpick certain things, but like change one thing and it's not what it is. No. Yeah, and what yeah. it is 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 complete yeah you know there's nothing to add or subtract that will get this to anywhere better it's only worse they nailed it what it is is like indelible cinema in my opinion you know what i mean like i really do think this is going to stand the test of time yeah and it's it is it is emblematic of the era yeah it is a movie when we think back and we go oh yeah the great action movies the 90s like con air and face off and time cop and things like right. face off it's like the one that elevates above all else absolutely all the other ones are fun to watch and talk about and this is one you can legitimately hold up and be like this is like this is great cinema from 1997 you know what i mean yeah high quality shit yeah um surprise there's not uh you know in a world where the rock is on criterion what are we doing where's face off yeah, Face Off, and like I like The Rock, but I feel like Face Off probably needs to be there. Yeah. Although I guess when it comes to like Michael Bay, if you're gonna put one of his criterions on there, The Rock makes sense in terms of like that was like, you know, somewhat of a game changer and like put his name on the map. Totally. Whereas if you're gonna put a Woo on Criterion, it's a larger pool to draw from in totally. terms of importance. Totally. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. But you know, in in a world where we're starting to put like a lot of stuff on Criterion. I say we can have both. Yes, yes. Get get me a. It, it probably fits more with Arrow's aesthetic, but like, get me a nice, beautiful, you know, 4K Blu-ray edition of this with some, you know, fresh interviews with people and stuff. Like, I want it. Oh, it'd be amazing. Yeah. If they could get a commentary track oh. from Nick Cage, and John Travolta, dude, I Joan Allen, <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely would would love it. Like that that would be such a fucking treat to hear that the two of them in a room together talking about this movie. Whether it's a commentary, an interview, whatever, you know, like I I would love that. Like, John, here's something that I think you did that was really brilliant. Like it would just be them sucking each other's dicks the whole time. And I know, and I'm here for it. Totally. Yes. Would love it. Would love it. Absolutely. Right on. All right. Did you, did you end up watching uh, uh, Silent Rage? No, I didn't. I saw that you did though. How did you enjoy it? Yeah, it's good. It's the pacing's all over the place. It's yeah. not quite what I wanted, but like when it becomes Chuck Norris versus Michael Myers, there's nothing better. Okay. And it's filled with people you recognize. Um, Does it like but take also, a while to like get that premise under its belt? Does it like take a little while to get no, there? The premise gets in there. It's just that they they have to also make it a Chuck Norris karate movie. I got first. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anytime it slows down, you have Ron Silver going up to a million. Oh, okay. Love because it. Because he only knows how to see. So he like paves through that. And also, the lead character, Chuck Norris, 
His name is Dan Stevens. No way. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. As soon as they said that, I'm just like, well, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's definitely worth watching. I, I, I'm not going to say I was blown away by it, but it's yeah. one of those things that you just watch and you just cheese your ass off knowing that it exists. And, you know, you'll see a hundred different, like the guy who plays the Phantom of the Paradise, he's a character in it. Oh, cool. I like um, that actor. Yeah. The murderer dude is, I, I recognize him. I couldn't place it. I finally looked him up. He's the biker dude that walks out of the grocery store at the beginning of the mist oh yeah okay i got you who, yeah. who takes the rope because he's like listen i know there's shit out there but i have to go home and he takes yep, the yep. rope um he's that guy um yeah there's just like a lot of faces that pop up you're like oh no shit uh one of uh the the doctor that puts the the chemical in the killer that turns him into a super killer is the uh friend of eddie Coyle that sells him guns oh my god yeah uh boy yes yeah. that wonderful actor that we liked so much yeah yeah whose name i will never remember i just remember he was jackie in the movie yeah yeah but uh that's it yeah i you should definitely watch it and listeners you should watch it. it's on tubi maybe there's a future episode in it we'll find out there is a lot on tubi tubi is a great service oh it's the, the best streaming service it's the best i am so glad that we got to this because i completely forgot to tell you about my experience watching face off so we watched face off on pluto tv uh, which is another very good streaming service that I like much like Tubi is an ad supported service and mm -hmm. Pluto apparently has lots of ads that will play throughout their movies. We yeah. got a lot of ad breaks throughout face off, but when we were watching face off, there was one ad that was the first ad that played every time there was an ad break for Hertz, which I think is like a, a car rental service. Yeah. And the song that is playing in the Hertz car rental commercial that happened every time an ad break started is Shania Twain's song um, that now I'm not going to remember the lyrics of, but is the let's go girls. Oh, man, I feel like a woman. Yeah, man, I feel like a woman. Okay, that was the song in the commercial. The commercial started every time immediately with so that's incredible. Every time and face off is a movie that is very melodramatic. And so every five minutes is building the tension of a scene yeah, yeah. to get you to some really good, tasty final moment. And every time it would build, it would build, it would get to the dramatic, tasty moment. That moment would happen and bam, bam, and, 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 every time, every time <laughs> That's to, to the point that in the finale of the movie, when they do the harpoon battle and Nick Cage's character gets the harpoon through, wait, it is who gets the harpoon through their chest at that point. Um, uh, Travolta gets Tra through his chest. Travolta, Travolta Castor Troy. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Travolta Castor Troy gets the thing through his chest. He sings something. One of his last lines before dying is he sings something. I forget what it is. Oh yeah. He just like he says the lyrics to a song, but literally because of where the ad, you know, Pluto doesn't do as good a job of timing its ad breaks as uh, TV yeah, yeah. does. Because of the timing of that. As he opened his mouth to sing, bam, bam, nah, 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 bam, bam. it was the fucking Let's best. Let's go, girls. We both fucking cracked up so hard when that happened. It was incredible. It was such a great watch experience, even though it was like so annoying to be interrupted by that all the time. It was so funny. I'll tell you what. I mean, first off, Tubi has the best streaming library if you're a horror fan. It totally. really does. It's huge. It's um, deep. It it rivals Shudder in terms of yep. like the shit that you are surprised that you get in terms of horror. But it's actually got like a pretty wide array of like other stuff outside of genre. I like the commercials. 
Dude, I think they are placed perfectly in the movies. Yeah. I don't know how they did that. They've got some kind of algorithm that knows how to find not just the end of a scene, but like what feels like an actual break in the storytelling. Yeah. I want that job, man. I'll watch yeah. every movie they put in front of me. But what I like about what I like about the commercials is I sort of miss having passive moments where I can check out of what's on screen when you're watching TV. Because now everything's on demand. So you hit play and then you watch it till the end through through it. It's great. I mean, I don't want to complain, but I think being raised in a world of television and like a lot of movies, the first time I ever saw them was on TV. Yeah, me too. And it was great to be able to like, oh, there's a commercial. I'm going to go refill my drink. I'm going to go take a piss. I'm going to grab a snack or just like, I'm going to check out for a second. Yep. It makes everything digestible in a way that I'm not going to say is better because nothing beats sitting in a theater and like being a watch in a movie. But like, there's just something about like, it ends up giving me more, like I'm I'm less inclined to check out because I know there's going to be a break coming up. And it's like relaxing because I can check out, I can think about what's happened in the last couple of scenes and like really assess what I'm watching. And it's something that I forgot used to be the norm. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's kind of nice. So like whenever I see like a movie is like only available on Tubi with ads, it's just funny that if people are like, oh, you could pay for the ad free version. I'm like, honestly, I'm kind of digging the experience. Yeah, I don't need to pay extra money for ad free. I I'll, I'll take the ads because it 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 just changes the cadence. And I in think a way that that is a lot of fun. And I think especially like that is especially true of Tubi. Not to spend this being the end of this being a commercial for Tubi, but I, I think especially oh, for Tubi. Again, sponsors something about where their ad breaks are placed really makes that like extra true of Tubi, right? Like yeah. when I was watching Face Up on Pluto, sometimes in the middle of a scene, I would get an ad. That sucks. Yeah, Pluto's that's, like that. That's not great. You know what I mean? But like where they are in, I agree with you. Where they end up being in Tubi is always good. It makes sense. It feels like a legitimate break. And I really think the thing that Tubi does that is the best of all of it is they tell you how many ads they're going to play every time an ad yeah. break starts. So you actually have a sense of, oh, I do have time to go to the bathroom. There's going to be five ads, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. It's nice. And it, honestly, to tell you the truth, I end up getting through a lot of movies faster, even with the commercials, because I'm not pausing them to look up an actor on my phone right, right. or to go use the bathroom, getting distracted. And like, granted, that's a that's a me problem because, you know, it's just showing a poor movie watching habit. But, <laughs> you know, as attention spans dwindle and, and my life becomes increasingly filled with responsibilities and maintenance tasks, I appreciate a decent commercial break and I'll, I'll take it. I, I'm not going to pay extra, but shout out to Tubi and Pluto. They're both doing, Dude, doing the rock. Lord's work in terms of like bringing cool shit to the, the streamer market that you don't see otherwise. Love those services. Really do. I also love your mm-hmm. Marvel mug that you've been drinking out of through this yeah, like episode. That, this yeah, it's uh, really cool. Gifted by Jenna. Well, on this side, we got the Marvel, but it also has this like lineup of oh, old that's awesome. style uh, yeah, yeah. drawings on them. That's great. And that so, is really cool. Kind of cool. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's square though. So it's, a, it's kind of a bitch to drink out of. I know what you mean, but um, you know, I don't mind. I'm drinking tea. So like, I don't want to tip it too far anyway. Cause the uh, uh, tea bags in there. Yeah. Noise. Um, well, would you like to wrap it? Yeah, I guess we should wrap it up, man. Best of luck with all Thank of you. the future endeavors. We will miss you here on the show. We I will look forward certainly to, to have you back. I look forward to maintaining my movie movie subscription and uh, he- hearing how things uh, you know progress. I'm excited. So 
reminder to all of the listeners before we play Garrett out here, um, there's going to be a two week break. You can find out any details uh, at Movie Movie Cast on Twitter. You can check out scullyvision.com. I'm going to be hitting you with updates as I figure out where we're, uh, you know, just like the tech of everything. But the plan to move forward is already in play. So stay tuned. There's going to be some solo episodes there's going to be some guests but i hope that you continue this journey into the world of movie movie with me we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up so uh yeah just stay tuned uh for season two so a two-week break two weeks without it and then i'm going to be coming at you hard so uh get ready Hell yeah. um and as always you can find us like i said at movie movie cast on all of the things you can check out scullyvision.com uh the show is part of the movie john podcast network you can check out moviejohn.com i also write for findy.com so check that out and um also uh check out hot property on spotify this week i had the distinct pleasure of introducing my co-host steve to the magic that is stand-up comedian hamburger so uh, we had a lot we had a lot of fun with that so uh yeah check that out garrett incredible take take us home uh, oh man hamburger boy what a what a delight that's that's great yeah. i'm gonna have to listen to that episode just to hear everybody do hamburger impressions because you can't watch hamburger without doing a hamburger impression not to tease too hard but we actually found out why his name is hamburger whoa and the, okay. yes the I answer is because he always says hamburger uh-huh. we actually have an official reason as to why he always says i love it hamburger almost as if it is a tick oh, i so, love it i love yeah. it there's Excellent. a reason. Give I gotta a listen. listen. It's, I gotta it's, listen. It's very goofy, yeah. Uh, people can find me everywhere on the internet at Philadelphia. I'm on Twitter and uh, follow my letterbox at Philadelphia. I'm also on moviejohn.com. Uh, and uh, I have a podcast with my partner, Tori, called Killer Bees Podcast. You can find us everywhere at Killer BS Podcast. Uh, we just uh, released an episode about Bill Paxton, actually, which was a ton BB. of fun to do. Uh, okay. Yeah, love BB. R.I.P. BP. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, look look me up there, find me there, follow me online, and um, it has legitimately been the pleasure of the last decade to uh, to be here doing this. I I, right I, I on, will man. love and miss you, and I will love and miss our listeners. So right I, I you, send send you off uh, with the uh, you know good good wish, well wishes, adieus. Love you back, sir. And I'm sure I speak for the uh, for the audience when I say that. And um, like I said, you'll you'll be back at some point. Love to, to hear uh, talk some stuff for sure Please. and in the meanwhile you can get your garrett fix like he said on killer yeah. bees and also at movie john so Hell yeah definitely check all of that out oh we'll miss you it's gonna be rough would but... you like to uh take over the sign-off dan it's uh it yes, is the time do. i i might even retire the sign-off do it yeah i'm, I'm going for a flavor change overall but we'll so you'll see how it all goes out yeah all the pieces in place. so yeah we can we can do this um here we go. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. My name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. And we all know that you like to movie movie because we, we like, like to, to movie. We like we nailed that one.